Now entering Nerdist.com. You made it weird. You made it weird. You made it weird. Oh, yeah. You made it weird. You made it weird. Yes, you did. You made it weird. Oh, yeah. You made it weird with Pete Holmes. What's happening, weirdos? This is uh, this was exciting for me because I recently have become obsessed with Dr. Joel Furman, who is our guest here. I saw him a long time ago. I believe it was in Forks Over Knives. I could be wrong. One of those documentaries about the uh, links between eating and your health, and then became reacquainted with him when I did a movie that hasn't come out yet called Gutbuster, where we met and talked a little bit. He's uh, he's co- he coined a term, a nutritarian. A nutritarian is people who eat things based on the calorie-to-nutrient ratio. That's pretty much all you need to know. Um, he, he's not like a adamant uh, a vegan or vegetarian or anything. He's just about science. That's all he cares about. He looks at uh, medical studies obsessively, and then he puts together the data and pretty dispassionately just lays it out for people to be like, this is what you should be eating if you want to live a long, healthy, and very interesting to me, happy life. He kind of talks about the tie between um, not getting enough nutrients and being depressed or having low energy, all that sort of stuff. So living a more vibrant, exciting, dare I say crispy, uh, that's kind of stupid. Is that stupid? I'm going to keep it. Uh, Dare I say crispy uh, kind of life. So anyway, this is one of those times where I went down the rabbit hole, got really, really into him. I bought uh, several of his books, several of his cookbooks. I watched, uh, if you're interested in him after listening to this, one of the best things to do is just go on YouTube. You can watch his uh, PBS specials. I started sending it to all my friends, and then I realized this is annoying. Why don't I just have him on the podcast? And that way we can share it with uh, the people who are interested in listening to someone uh, like him. Me, for one, I'm fascinated. And since uh, we've been shooting Crashing, I've been doing um, the Nutritarian thing, uh, pretty similar to what I was doing before with a couple uh, changes here and there. And I feel fan, fan, fantastic. I feel fantastic. So this is just kind of one of those things where I was like, it means so much to me. I love his message. I just want to get him out as much as I can. I wouldn't say it's like a traditional, you made it weird. We don't talk about like comedy or sex. And I don't even think we talk about God per se, but we do get into uh, his love of food, my love of food, and all of that sort of interesting science stuff without any uh, politics or even morality tied to it. Just a very interesting conversation. If you enjoy it one-tenth as much as I did, uh, you will shit your pants. He's, he's fantastic. We have two wonderful sponsors for this episode. One of them is Carvana. This is a new sponsor. Thank you, Carvana, for sponsoring You Made It Weird. Uh, I don't know about you guys. Do you dread uh, spending your Saturday haggling with a car salesperson? <laughs> I know, I do. (laughs) I know, it sucks. With Carvana, you can skip the dealership and buy your next car online. I love this. You choose as soon as next day delivery or pick up from the world's first coin-operated car vending machine. This is real. You enjoy the peace of mind of a seven-day return policy, plus save some serious cash compared to dealership, uh, dealerships. Or dealership, if you only live near one. So, if you want to try it, if you're in the market for a new car, Carvana is the way to buy a new car. Check them out at Carvana, C-A-R-V-A-N-A, dot com, slash weird, to learn more. Uh, let me say, let me say, let me say, let me say, yeah. I don't know why I turned into Foghorn Leghorn. Our other wonderful uh, sponsor is uh, Zip Recruiter. Zip Recruiter! I don't know if you're hiring... Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Well, 
finding great talent, we all know, can be tough. Thankfully, with ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites with just one click. One click, 100-plus job sites. Then their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your job better than anyone else. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, it doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. That's incredible. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Simply screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. So guys, if you want to show your support of this podcast and this is something that is useful to you, find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, listeners of this podcast, weirdos, can get jobs posted on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Holmes, like my last name, H-O-L-M-E-S. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Holmes. Try it today. Thank you for your support, ZipRecruiter. And as always, the Pete's Picks. Y'all know the Pete's Picks. It's funny because we're shooting Crashing and some, some background actors have asked me for Alpha Brain, and I have it. I have it in my pocket. They know I have it in my pocket. Alpha Brain, I know you guys uh, have heard this, but it's a product that I'm quite passionate about. Um, I, I've taken a whole bunch today because we're shooting, crashing, writing, acting, doing stand-up. Anytime I'm doing something like a podcast or writing a script that requires uh, focus, memory, concentration, I take about three Alpha Brain uh, 15 minutes before. A dose is two. I, I'm a big guy. I got a big brain. I'd like to take three. I take three 15 minutes before. It kicks in. I feel it. It's not like a cup of coffee and that it's not like a stimulant. It doesn't keep you up. In fact, sometimes I take it before bed because it gives me really, really tripped out dreams. I love taking it before I meditate. I can feel the difference, but not in like a jittery way. You know, your vocab is easier to, to grab. You can find the right word. You can concentrate. Your memory is better. Your focus is better. I love this product and sincerely take it every single day. Have for the past three, maybe four years. If you guys want to try it, it's a Pete's pick. Get on Onnit, O-N-N-I-T dot com slash weird. You'll get 10% off. I, I can't tell you how many co-workers, writers, other actors I've turned on to this. And if they want or if you want 10% off, onnit.com slash weird and show your support of this podcast. Uh, the other Pete's pick, which I also love and take almost every day, is Charlotte's Web Hemp Oil. This is by the Stanley Brothers. The Stanley Brothers did their own episode of this podcast. Some of the most fascinating people I've ever met working in really, really interesting science. This is specifically hemp oil, which sounds like it's weed. It's not weed. It's made from hemp, but they take THC, which is the psychoactive element of, of marijuana in the hemp plant. They take that out, leaving just CBD, which is basically the body thing. It, it's very good. This is all anecdotal, please. This is just my experience. Very good with uh, anxiety. It's wonderful to take if I'm just feeling a little bit blue, a little bit cloudy, a little bit not myself. I love taking it when I travel, especially if you're stuck in a small seat or if you have neck pain, back pain. I've had people write in that, that it, it elevates their mood and just kind of adds a healthy, happy glow. It's not a high feeling. It's not a stone feeling. I don't particularly like being stoned. This is something that just kind of takes a little bit of that tension out so you can focus, so you can read, so you can work, so you can relax at a party, so you can have dinner with your parents. Whatever it is, you're completely functional. Read a book, concentrate, but you just have a little bit, I don't know. I like to say glow. 
a little bit of a glow. If, uh, if it's hard to describe, that's because I want you to try it. And if you want to try it and you want 10% off, go to CW, that's like Charlotte's Web, hemp.com slash weird, and use the promo code KEEPITCRISPY, all one word, and you will get 10% off. I re- highly recommend Everyday Plus, or what I use is Everyday Advance, because then you can just take literally like one drop of it. If you buy a big bottle of the Everyday Advance, that's your whole year supply right there. I like the mint chocolate, or you know, it depends on how much you use. But I like the mint chocolate. Use that. Everyday Plus mint chocolate. Tastes like a thin mint. Makes you feel even better. It's a peach pick because I love it. Try Alpha Brain. Try Charlotte's Web. Thank you to Zip Recruiter. Thank you to Carvana. Show some support. Get into those uh, wonderful sponsors. And enjoy Dr. Joel Furman. His book, Eat to Live, is out now. It's an old one. In fact, I actually think I, I mentioned that on the podcast. But he also has wonderful videos on YouTube. He, he's really making a lot of people happy and healthy. And if, if you even take one little thing from him and it makes your life better, I'll be, uh, I'll be very happy for, for all of us. You know what I mean? I wish Val were here. Val's in L.A. Shit. So I have to say get into it. Get into it. First of all, my God, two hours? Yeah. <laughs> it's like two and a half. Oh, my goodness. Here, let, let's, I, want, I want your tale of woe to be on the show. <laughs> I do. That, it's quite an effort. Are you in the uh, – people always give Jersey a hard time, but then everybody that I know that lives there says that they want us to think that it's not great, so we stay out of it, that it's beautiful rolling land and deers prancing around, and it's just gorgeous. Well, I don't care what people think about it, but I live in a beautiful area. Yeah, there you Please go. Please part of Jersey. Yeah. yeah, you don't care. Yeah. That's very Jersey of you. <laughs> <laughs> but it took you – I think I'm honored that you came in. Yeah, I was lecturing this morning at a hospital. Is that right? Yeah, I got done – I lectured from 10 to 12. And I signed books, you know, the autograph books to like one o'clock. Oh my god. Drove gosh. home, threw some food in my mouth, got back in the car. <laughs> I really appreciate it. The most I can offer is that this is, I don't know if you know about the podcast, but it's popular and it's probably an audience that hasn't heard of you. You know what I mean? I don't know what the marketing term for that is, but these are fresh ears for you. <laughs> there, are, there are people that haven't heard of me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't mean to offend you. <laughs> When are we starting the podcast? We're starting right now, if that's okay. Oh, we'll include oh. all of this. Oh, great. It's a casual show. We've had some, some people that you know. I think uh, I, I mentioned David Wolf did it uh-huh. uh, and Rich Roll. So we've had some nutrition people on. Uh-huh. I like to say I'm the softest nutritionally interested person that you'll ever meet. Uh-huh. And I'm a big fan of your work. We met in uh, Hawaii. In Hawaii, right? Very yeah. briefly. Yeah. yeah. We read because you did that movie, uh, Dave Stone Gutbuster. Right which is still being edited, mm-hmm. I understand. How did that come about? How did you get introduced to, to a comedian, a beer-swilling comedian? <laughs> I don't remember. It was so many years ago. Is that, I know, yeah. right? I was like, what's that, five years ago? It's been forever. Been, yeah. I want to so, see this movie. Yeah. Apparently, we're both in this movie. <laughs> right. But I saw you in uh, Educated. And Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead. Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead. So they dead. pulled me as the doctor to advise the person with the most effective and safest way to lose weight. And I guess they wanted to show a contrast between the healthiest style of eating with the most unhealthy right. way that he was eating prior. Right. And I represent my niche is to teach people like who really are the longevity enthusiasts how to live a long time if they have an illness like heart disease or diabetes, reverse it, become non-diabetic, right. melt away your heart disease, never get cancer, never get demented. So my audience is for people who are willing to do what it takes to have a great, healthy, the healthiest life possible. Which is what Gut, gut Buster is about. Yeah, but, kind they, of. but they got a guy who's um, overweight, comedian, yeah. eating junk food on the road, and, yeah. and ob- obese, and, and so now can we convert him to be a health nut? And you did, I think. 
I think maybe for part of the movie. I don't know what happened, to, I don't what happened to after the movie. I mean, maybe he's gained all his weight back. Who knows? Well, it's how you know? I got in touch with you. I said, are you still skinny? I remember he came on my podcast, and, and we talked about it, and they filmed it for the movie. And he was talking about how he couldn't wait for it to be over. I feel like this is right up your alley because he was like, I really miss eating X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, it's an abusive relationship. You're, you're like a person with a black eye right now going like, no, pizza loves me. Pizza loves me. Like, I can make them change. And that, and that can be frustrating, I suppose. But that's, that's your line of work. I, 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 right. It's frustrating for me because people don't know that the greatest tasting foods can be super healthy. And I can make, you know, that's what I do for a living is make, you know, healthy foods taste great. And like, are you kidding me? Healthy version tastes better than that junk food version you're eating that's going to kill you. Right. You know, I, whatever. I, well, I remember you yeah. said about pizza specifically. And, and by the way, I, you're like a nutritional genius jukebox. So I'll just put quarters in you and have you talk about things because you're so, that's the way you're best. I don't even want to interrupt, but I did hear you talking about pizza specifically and you're like, it's cake. This is cake. We right. eat cake for breakfast. We eat cake for dinner. We eat cake. The American cake. diet. The cake diet. We eat right. cake. Yeah, exactly. And it makes sense. It's white flour. Right. Pancakes. Someone is cake with cheese. That's the word. Yes. Fried, fried cake for breakfast. Right? Fried cake. White. And then for lunch, what do they have? A pizza. That's cake with cheese on top. Yeah. And then for dinner, they have um, a quiche or some other cake. And then it's like, um, I don't know. P- pasta is cake. It's yeah. still white flour again. Right. White flour d- destroys your brain cells. It makes well, you less that, intelligent. It takes but, away your, It makes you demented. That's it's actually a, it's addictive. One of the things before, because I'm already on board yeah. to, to include to slowly bring people into this. Yeah. One of the things that I like is you're a proponent for joy. You're a proponent for living. You know, you, you feel like these foods can make us depressed. These foods can make us, you know, our, our systems right. be depressed. That's right. And then you have like subconscious death urges. I've, I've felt those urges when I'm eating poorly and drinking a lot and whatever it is. And it just weighs you down. And then I've also gone the other way and been eating a lot of living stuff. And we'll get to that. Well, the medical studies show that people with even two servings of commercial baked goods a week that's like one donut and one cookie a week. Just two servings a week increases your risk of depression by 50%. Get that's, out that's of like my a, face. That's like amazing. That's amazing. That's 50%. I mean, just nutrition is powerful. A recent study showed that eating French fries once a week for a child in their teenage years mm. increases their risk of adult breast cancer for a woman by 27%. What? Yep. One See, serving of French fries a week. Fried foods are probably the worst thing you could do. But if you fry, fry white flour and sugar, make a donut out of it, yeah. then, you, then that's just ridiculous. Well, it's interesting because I know a lot of healthy people that are like trying to lay off the gluten. So they'll eat chips or, some, or fries or something because right. you're like, at least there's no gluten. You would say, don't do that. Well, you know, it's, <laughs> you have one in 20 people who are sensitive to gluten. So that's okay for that one in 20 people. Right. But, but fr- fry anything and you have a really dangerous food. You know, fried foods are so carcinogenic and mutagenic and teratogenic. I mean, they cause birth defects. They cause cancer. They're so dangerous that even inhaling, even working in a, food fa- food, a fast food restaurant, just inhaling the vapors, if you don't eat the food, it can increase risk of cancer. That's how dangerous these are. It forms multiple rancid, rancid compounds, you know, free radicals and toxic compounds for cooking the oil. Heat the oil over and over again, even these deep fried foods. That's wow. really dangerous stuff. See, this is what I love about you, man. Every time yeah. – I've watched a lot of your stuff and every time there's always a couple nuggets ha- hiding in there. But – I didn't. We never really do an intro. I feel like you deserve an intro. You are Dr. Joel Furman. You are the nutritarian diet person. Why don't we back it up a little bit, and you can tell a little bit about how you came about into that world, just for people who don't know. Let's see. Um, I'm a board-certified family physician and nutritional researcher. I'm the president of the Nutritional Research Foundation. Mm-hmm. I have six New York Times best-selling books on nutrition, and my television shows on PBS TV. Um, pledge shows have raised. How do I not know? Oh, you mean the specials? My special yes, I've seen television shows. I thought you had a series. I, was I like, had, oh, I've had four 
specials on PBS, which have been some of the most, most successful shows in PBS history. Mm-hmm. Raised over $30 million for PBS. My first show in 2012 was called Three Steps to Incredible Health on PBS TV. Um, the most exciting thing for me, I never thought I'd affect this many millions of people, but millions of people across America have you know, changed their diet, gotten rid of their diabetes, reversed their heart disease, gotten rid of their psoriasis. And, well, you talk you about know, it. It's just amazing what's been happening just from my been so lucky to get such this public exposure. You know, so I'm a doctor who specializes in nutrition that and advocates a very healthy nutritarian diet. And right now, um, I have multiple books out, mm-hmm. you know, books on different topics. And I love to make incredible, great recipes. And I do that, you know, part of what I do is show people how to make healthy eating taste great. And you clearly care about this stuff. That's one of the... the Things that I think makes you unique is you actually – you seem like – and I mean this as a compliment. You're a nerd for nutritional science. You love – and I am too. You love talking about it. When you're like, I read the study, I get excited. Absolutely. It's It's like my sports. It's a a passion (laughs) because like you're saying to people, you know, everybody's insane. That's it. They're all insane. We don't. Why are you gonna? You're not. You're gonna have a heart attack. You're gonna get demented. You're stuck in a nursing home for the last 15 years of your life, unable to move left side of your body, right. having other people wipe your rear end. Right. I mean, this is like. This is what you want to do for your life. Right. Or you want to eat healthy and live to be a hundred years old with great health and enjoy every day you're alive. I mean, right. nutritional science has made such incredible advances in the last 20 years that we have the power. So our population never has to have heart attacks and strokes and get demented, and we can wipe out 90 percent of the cancer. We don't have to invent this magic pill. This is the, stu- the craziest thing in the world. We're going to invent this magic pill from the drug company. People can smoke cigarettes for 30 years, three packs a day, take a pill and not get lung cancer. We're going to eat American food and not get breast cancer or prostate cancer with a magic pill. It's not going to work. We have the answers right now. The answer right now is is in your kitchen. Right and right in your in, in your own control. See again, this is why I think mm-hmm. I get really excited when when I listen to you talk. Is you're in the freedom business. I like anybody that's right. that's liberating people. Right. You don't want to do it, don't do it. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. I don't care if you don't do it. Yeah, you whatever you want. I'd be in medical school, I'd be walking in my class, you know, in the <laughs> in the path where they go to my seat, and people would be hiding their candy bars. <laughs> And I'd go, I'm not your mother. Be whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, but you're saying like – you're saying that you're being sold a bill of goods. When people are with advertising and all – you talk about the sugar and the salt that you don't even taste that they put into fast food. Yeah, and they're addicting too. It's not even to make you taste it. I get that fat and salt taste good and sugar tastes good. But injecting it into the inside of a French fry That's or in right. the batter – They inject into the French fry batter. They put the sugar and salt and the MSG in the meat. In the meat. Just for your brain. Just so it makes you get more thirsty, drink more soda, eat more food. The more you salt, put salt and oil and sugar in a food, the more people can increase their caloric intake. And oil comes in free. Right. You mean oil doesn't shut off the apostat. In other words, if I gave you 200 calories of walnuts, you'd eat 200 calories less at the lunch because the walnuts would shut off your apostat. It'd stop you from taking in those calories. Apostat? Like thermostat? Yeah, like a thermostat. I right? love it. So if, you, if I put 200 calories of walnut oil because there's no fiber associated with it, yeah. You wouldn't sense you're eating it. There's no way the body can sense so much calories. The body doesn't sense calories as much as right. it sense the bulk of the food and the fiber. I've seen that image yeah. of a stomach and it fills up with 300 calories right. of that's oil. Right, that's why I made that image. That's you! Yeah, I'm the person who came up with that three-stomach three, three stomach image in, the, in my book, uh, Eat to Live, in 2004. There you go. Okay, well, they use that in uh, Fat Sick and Nearly they, Dead, I believe. Right, exactly. And people have used it on a lot of other lectures, but they never like credit me as the person. Son of a bitch. <laughs> I'll be mad for you. You can be professional. <laughs> I'll be mad for you. That is Dr. Furman's. That is nonsense. But you, you also to talk about the triggers at the top of the stomach when you eat a lot of lettuce or whatever it might be. Like, eat a big salad, your f- stomach gets, what is it, the apa? The apostat? Apostat. How did I yeah. forget? It's so fun. Mm-hmm. The apostat gets triggered because your stomach is full, but you can eat a, lot, a fuck ton of oil, you can swear on this podcast, <laughs> without feeling full. 
So you put out the the oil and the bread before the meal. People are sopping up. Right. You're sopping up free calories because you don't sense it. You, need, you just eat just as many calories in the meal. But oil, as opposed to eating whole foods, makes you eat more calories. So it's not just the extra calories you took from the oil, but right. adding salt and oil and sugar to the food makes you even want to eat more calories than you need. And more calories than you need, of course, shortens your lifespan. This is insane. Yeah. This is insane. Well, that's why I think about in terms of freedom. These people, are, food companies are figuring out what your brain wants and ways to trick your brain into eating things and, and they're just trying to sell more product. It's not really – like you're bad for business. Like what you preach is bad for business. And I'm bad for the drug companies and all the – in the restaurant business and everybody hates me. That's why I have a, a bodyguard with a bulletproof – that's why I have a bulletproof vest and a bodyguard. That is not true. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, you're paranoid. <laughs> I didn't realize I was having a paranoid person on the show. But I, you know, as a Are young... these windows lead-coated by yeah. the way? So bullets yeah, those, can't those go are, through? Those are reinforced, but that's oh, for me. Laser, what about lasers? Yeah. <laughs> well, the cider, the sight will get through, but not the bullet. You'll be fine. But look at, look at what doctors do. Look at drugs. I mean, for example, you give a person with high blood... Everybody in America develops high blood pressure and cholesterol. I mean, almost everybody eventually, right? Because right. the American diet is so deadly. So you eventually can develop atherosclerosis if you eat it. You go to a doctor... Instead of telling you you can change your diet and get rid of your high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and heart disease, and you could never have a stroke or a – instead, they give you a pill. Right. So the pill now – they don't tell you that the pill – like, for example, the calcium channel blocker has been shown – doubled the risk of breast cancer in women over a 10-year period. So they give you a pill that's for one thing, but it doubles your chance of breast cancer. They don't even tell you that. But, of course, why would they? <laughs> yeah. They give you blood pressure medication. I was just told to ask my doctor about Eloise or whatever it is. <laughs> right. but they give you a pill to lower your blood pressure. And they, and they didn't tell you that when you, well, when you lower blood pressure with medication below 70, it could double your risk of heart attack, cause atrial fibrillation because your heart can't get enough blood flow back to the heart during diastole. Hmm. So it lowers systole at the expense of pushing diastole too low. So now you have atrial fibrillation. They've got to give you a pill for that. Mm-hmm. They've got to give you a blood thinner for that, or they put a stent and they've got to give you a blood thinner for that. That increases the risk of hemorrhagic stroke. And it causes gastrointestinal bleeding. They've got to give you a pill for that. Got to put you on Prozac. That increases the risk of pneumonia. But that also <laughs> weakens your bones. They've got to give you a pill for that. So you're on, you're on 13 pills, one pill is for the other pill. It all starts right. a vicious cycle. Right. Never did the doctor give the person what I call comprehensive informed consent, talking about the dangers of each of these medications, the risk of them using them. Together. Together, yeah. which isn't even discussed. And they never even gave them a choice to let them know. That even if you took all these medications, it only lowers your risk a small percent of heart disease anyway. If you want to totally obliviate your risk, See, you can change your guy. diet. You're yeah, the so, guy we so, wish we could ring a bell and you'd come in and talk because people are intimidated by doctors. Yeah, exactly. Oh, like if a doctor says take this pill, you go like, oh, well, well just People take are it. totally intimidated by doctors. Let me yeah. give you an example, yeah. okay? Yeah. A guy walks into the doctor's office. Is this a joke? <laughs> Well, you said intimidated by doctors. I love oh. it. Please tell this joke. Please tell this joke. He walks into the doctor's office and he says, I'm just here for a sore throat and a cough. Could you take a quick look down my throat? And the doctor says, sure, no problem. Go and examine him too. Take your clothing off. So then he goes to the table. I'll be in there in five minutes. He goes, no, I don't need to take my clothing off. I've got just a sore throat. He doesn't need to look at my throat. I'm otherwise feeling okay. He goes, no, that's the way we do things here. You just take your clothes off. Go and examine him three and, and sit at the table and I'll be there in five minutes. You want to be seen, you have to keep clothes on. I've got to look at your whole body. <laughs> I was, oh, damn, okay. He sits there and he says, I'm going to freeze my butt off. He sits there. 15 minutes, doctor doesn't come by. Still sitting there with no clothing on. In exam room three, he finally gets tired of freezing, sitting there, just feeling very uncomfortable, sitting there nude, having his throat looked at. <laughs> Peeks open the door of the room just to see what's going on. And he sees the door in exam room two across the hall. There's another guy sitting there nude with a little cardboard box on his lap. He says to him, he's, he's like, he's shivering. And he goes, I'm freezing my butt off here. I'm just here for a sore throat. The other guy says, you, I'm just here to deliver this package. (laughs) That's perfect. But I mean, 
You brought it up. You brought. Oh it up. no, I loved it. Please, if any joke comes up, this is this is in the, in the well, comedy section. I'm going to have a nutritionist. I'll just be talking about jokes the whole time. I would love to. Okay. I, that's my passion. Okay. That's my other interest. Well, you know, jokes laughing makes you live longer too. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. I knew it burned calories. Like people say that laughing is good for you. Absolutely, aerobically. And you know, I give lectures and I insert jokes in the lectures sometimes, and I tell people that. Laughing makes you live longer, even if the joke doesn't work. In other words, if the joke's not funny, if you laugh anyway, it still makes you live longer. So you've got to laugh. If, if just laugh anyway, even if it isn't funny. that funny. That's like laughter yoga. We've yeah. talked about laughter yoga where people mm-hmm. fake laugh, but they right. do it so long they start to real laugh. Uh-huh. I can't imagine how good that must feel. Mm-hmm. I don't know why in the society when you see someone really laughing, you almost look down on them. People, people tease me because I laugh a lot. Oh, really? and I'm just like, no, I'm happier than you, and I'm working at it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's a choice. Okay. You think I can't not laugh at a joke? Of course I can. Mm-hmm. It's better for everything to laugh. But, you know, going back to the freedom of it and, and the people think that eating whatever we want. Like I, I've talked to people about nutrition before. Right. I can be annoying in that way. And my friend – or, you know, I'm trying to help or whatever it is. And my friends are like, I'd rather live shorter and eat whatever I want. I'm sure, sure this is something that people say to you. Sure. That's what – to people who are delusional and, <laughs> and – um, you know, people who, tell me what you mean. I know what you mean, but tell me. Well, it's that – it's like when you – food is very addicting. And um, and people who are you know who are self delusional and um, illogical will come up with irrational excuses why they continue to smoke cigarettes, snort cocaine, or do whatever they want to do. You're saying it's the same thing. You're saying these people are addicted to these things. The dopamine associated dopamine with dopamine in the brain is the same as narcotics. Yep. And it takes away part of their conscious brain. So they so they, their addictions are talking because your primitive brain wants to protect your addictions. You come up with any irrational reason why you could continue. Rich to do Roll that. talked about the the, the mm-hmm. microclimate of all these I don't know the words of these tiny little microbes living inside of us that want the sugar and they start to like seize control of you basically. Well the primitive brain creates anxiety, change creates anxiety to people so you come up with these, you know, delusional excuses why you can still smoke cigarettes like my, well, my one might be my way pregnant. I'll stop, or well, you know, right now I have too much stress in my life. As if smoking cigarettes, snorting cocaine, or eating junk food lowers your stress. It takes away your ability to make choices in life because it, ta- it makes you stupider. Is that and, right? Yes. Like when you eat processed foods and sugar and honey and maple syrup and, and French fries, when you eat those foods, it destroys brain cells like alcohol does. So it's making you dumber. And it's making you de- – it takes a, a cloud over your life like a fog. It makes you more depressed. Mm. makes you unable to make good choices in life. It makes you make bad decisions and you're unable to succeed at your career. So it, it puts a level of um, – it lowers the level of ability and achievement in your life. lowers your ability to be happy. And then you're saying, well, I've got to keep doing it though. I've got to keep doing it and I'm, right. because I'm going to live a better life. And, you're, and you're, you're no longer in control of your life. Your addiction is in control of your life. Your decisions are made by your addictions, tr- craving those foods, having to eat those things. <laughs> and, then you're, and then you're ill all the time. And then you get to be older. And then- and you have really you're, you're really ill. You're dependent on physicians. You have joint pain, hip replacement, back hurts. Your kidneys are going bad. You're taking medications. Your life revolves around your medical problems, right. and you think you had a better life. And they and they don't even know that they would have liked the food, the taste of the healthy food better anyway, right? Because that's another ridiculous. Well, it was never offered to us, was it? Yeah, they didn't even know that they could make the healthy foods taste good, and they didn't train their taste buds. In other words, when your taste buds are deadened by the high sugar, high salt, highly highly, highly palatable diet, you don't enjoy the flavor in a strawberry. 
Yeah. Now, I can give you, what do you want to eat, apple pie a la mode? I can give you a healthy apple pie a la mode that tastes just as good, but you've got to get used to eating this way for you really appreciate right. the taste as much, and I want to appreciate the taste. And you said that takes a couple weeks just to kind of flesh it out, or, or is no, it not No, it takes really? more than that. It takes more than that? Well, I th- all through my career as a physician, I thought it took like three months to get your taste buds to really come back fully, uh-huh. but I actually did a study and published it in the nutrition journal where we tested it on people, and to see, well, how much time did it take them to like this way of eating more than their old diet? And for a large number of people, it took six months, actually. Is that right? Even three months, they're taking See, didn't even come back yet. This is what I love about you, man, is you are like the scientist of, of – you're not a – you don't promote veganism for ethical reasons or even for like planetary reasons or no, anything. I love to kill animals. I just <laughs> want to eat them. I just don't want to eat them. <laughs> At least you're honest. He loves the thrill of the kill, but he doesn't want to grill it up. Right. <laughs> not the thrill of the grill, not for you. But you're just – what I'm saying is maybe you, in the past you did think it was that, but you have the scientific model. If you are disproven by a study, and it sounds like you did this study, right. then you stop saying it. Then you say, hey, sorry about that. We have new data. Right, exactly. And this is very appealing. Yeah. This is why I wanted to have you on, is you're talking about, you're just looking at science. You seem like a guy that goes like, I don't have an agenda in this way. I'm not being paid by the vegetable people. And you're not even, you know, some people, I, I call myself a flegan. I'm a flexible vegan, which means oh. I sometimes stray. And I like you that you're not out there just going like, eat uh, raw plants and just do that. You're saying, like, let's see who that works for. What does the data show? That's right. I, I don't want to have – I feel it, that it's my duty as a nutritional scientist and as a physician specializing in nutrition not to have a predetermined bias, not mm-hmm. to have any other agendas. I mean, sure, eating less animal products and less meat will be good for the environment, right. but, my, but I'm not a climate scientist. Mm-hmm. It'll be good for it says ethical reasons, but I'm not an ethicist. I'm not a you know. In other words, I stick to what I do best. You're sticking to one sticking area, to getting the nutrition, knowing, being familiar with all the science, and giving people the science that's unaffected by any other factors, and they can do it. They can use this to get to know they have unbiased information to make choices they want to make. Mm-hmm. That they can make the best choice for their life. Have you heard anything about the stress? <laughs> Some of my friends that love to eat. You know, myself included, you want to cheat or stray. They'll sometimes quote, I don't even, I haven't even seen the study. They're like, they said that the stress associated with denying yourself the foods that you want is also really bad for you. Have you ever heard that? I don't know if there may be something like it, but it's, you know, that's, um, it's, tot- that's totally ridiculous. <laughs> snort cocaine. I'm going to snort cocaine. That's good for me because the stress of denying me cocaine is going to not be good for my health. <laughs> That's a really good one. You know. Well, see, going back you know, to this, that just shows people people don't know that, that white bread with salt and sodium bromate in it is because a class two carcinogen. Mm. These are carcinogenic foods that cause diabetes and dementia, and they're addictive. And they don't denying yourself things that are, are dangerous for you is not um, is is called good sense. Yeah, and sensible. You know, it's like wearing a seatbelt. You know, you eat fruits and vegetables, and you'd make them taste great. But you know. Um, People come up with all kinds of – that's another insane – That's another like I'd rather live shorter and eat better or quote-unquote better. They live shorter and eat longer while they're young. Then they realize how sick they are. They look back in their life and they say, how did I think that stupidly when I was back then? I killed myself and now I'm (laughs) stuck in a nursing home, unable to move half my body the rest of my life. Right. You know, this is the stupidest – you know, and the average American dies at a – you know, the average – it's a wide bell-shaped curve. In other words, the average American lives to be, let's say, given the benefit of the doubt, 80. Yeah. If the average is 80, that means half live to be 80 and 100, but the other half die between 60 and 80. Mm-hmm. So you're dying at 60, 65, 67. You don't it's, it's, it's a crapshoot. And you're you also know. saying that the quality of life dips. In the last 15 years you're alive, no matter how long you live, you have a, your quality of life is the worst. The worst is called a healthy life expectancy score. And ours in America is worse than all 27 industrialized countries. Hmm. And we suffer a lot in this country before we die. 
And you don't have a quality of life before you die. You don't have your full brain capacity before you die. So who wants to live life and not have your full brain there? You're not right. all there anymore. I heard, I heard you, you know. say something interesting that, like, statistically speaking, lifespan appeared to be shorter you know, centuries ago. But it was because so many women were dying in childbirth and so many children were dying uh, early on as well. That's right. So high kind infant of, mortality, high childhood mortality, high childbirth mortality. One in nine women die giving childbirth. But if we look at, for example, in the 14th, 13th, and 14th centuries, take males, take the males who were Renaissance artists who produced works of art. Mm-hmm. They had longer lifespan than the average male today in this country has. Mm. Because so, so the idea that we're living longer than ever before is, yeah, we are, but adults aren't living longer. Adult males aren't living longer. And, the, and, and cancer is relatively new in human history. And regardless of that, Nutritional science has made incredible advances where we have the opportunity to take, take advantage. We have an unprecedented opportunity in human history. We can actually have a, everybody live to be you know, 95 to 105 years old. We can have a majority of people being centenarians mm. in good health. Mm-hmm. Nobody's taking advantage of it because, because food is so powerfully addicting and because the medical profession is so barbaric. Well, wouldn't you, would you agree that we're eating these foods that tend to make us depressed that would increase like – you know, people when, – when I hear someone say I'd rather live shorter and eat what I want, right. I hear someone just saying like I'm okay with dying. And when I hear – when I talk to someone like you that seems to have a zeal and a, and a zest for life and joy, right. wouldn't you say that like eating those foods – we're talking about eating one cookie or one muffin, 50 percent, all that stuff. Right. Could it be the food is depressing you and in your depressed state you're just like, well, I'd rather have my bottle and die than go outside, <laughs> if that metaphor makes yeah, sense. Yeah, this, this person who's an addict – doesn't have the ability to make a rational decision anymore. That's what I'm saying. We can't they trust ourselves. They can't trust themselves. They've yeah. lost their ability to make a decision. And the food has, has a say in your brain. That's right. The okay. See, that's fascinating. Over. And, you know, the, um, the people that need this the most, the people that are most suffering and most tragic, and this is very tragic. It's a serious subject because people have heart attacks every day, mm-hmm. and they have strokes every 30 seconds. And people have strokes and are stuck in nursing homes every day. You know what a big business in America is? Growing business. Nursing homes for people between the age of 35 and 65 who can't get into the regular nursing homes. They have strokes in their 20s and 30s, and they're stuck in bed, unable to move the rest of their life. Hmm. And they're living, and this is tragic. It's all related to the growth of the fast food industry. Hmm. The growth of the fast food industry is creating new new diseases that never occurred before. Hmm. It's creating um, bigotry and racism. Because it's, it's, it's taking urban populations and making them unable to succeed because the food they have access to is ruining their brains. I've heard you and say it, that, yeah. like sugar and all these things are bad for society. Like it's irresponsible for a good society. That's right. So we take, we take, um, we take um, donuts and, and junk food to our kids playing soccer games and we're destroying their brain cells because sugar has been shown in sweets and these processed carbohydrates and candies have been shown to cause attention deficits, intelli- loss of intelligence – and inability to concentrate in school, increased risk of depression. Uh, they, they cause mental illness. Mm. In other words, they lead not in everybody that eats them. It's all dependent on there's certain fact, other factors involved. Genetics play a role as well. But we're talking about a deadening of the intellectual potential in life of people who are eating these pro- processed foods and fast foods. Mm. And why would you want to do that to all your children? Yeah, you know, or why would you want to do that to a portion of our country? That's an, that's, right. that's an abusive uh, thing. You you yes. always I, one of the jokes I love is you say this couldn't this diet couldn't have been made better if it was done by Al Qaeda. Right. Like it's no. the most destructive inside right. sort of terrorist activity that's yes. happening. We have, we have a perfect diet to, designed to kill people and to keep them in a really in a in a tragic state. Right. Because we mix together the high glycemic carbohydrates like white bread, like a hamburger bun, with a hamburger. And when you mix those two things... It's in the title of the bun. Yeah, right. (laughs) You got to get the hamburger. That's why they named the bun. (laughs) 
<laughs> Macaroni and cheese, yeah. you know, hamburgers. But the point is, is when you mix together the high glycemic carbohydrate with the concentrated animal protein, you raise both insulin and IGF-1. The carbohydrate raises the insulin. The meat raises the IGF-1, insulin-like growth factor 1. And that, that combination, that particular sandwich of carb- hormones produces ca- a cancer. You know, mm. pro- promotes breast cancer the most. But it doesn't just promote breast cancer. It promotes aging of the brain, aging of your body, destruction of your joints. We're talking here about you know, a health care crisis in this country. And, of course, you know, in a lot of the modern world, cancer is a new phenomenon. never occurred in human history. Scrotal cancer was first developed in chimney sweeps in the mid-17th century. Hmm. We're talking about something that really we don't ever had breast cancer. Countries have one-fiftieth of breast cancer. I haven't heard that. Cancer is like a relative, breast Re- cancer is like a relatively new thing? Absolutely new thing. We did autopsies on like um, female people from the pyramids where they were in the, in the corpses that were in um, the bodies were preserved. Yeah, you know sure. I mean? No, we didn't see any breast cancer at all in women. And, and they said, well, that's because they didn't live long. No, no, no. We, have, we can test how long they lived and we can see that even in people that lived longer, we didn't right. see these cancers. We can read the hieroglyphics. There's 38 yeah. hawks here. She was 38. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's very but the, tragic. But the point is, is that, cancer, that we know through the history of literature and of medical literature that cancer is a recent phenomenon. That's, I've, yeah. I had, this is a free podcast. I don't know if you know. You're dropping some bombs. Here. Right. This is free. I can't believe it. You also talked about sugar setting up that pattern. We, we eat sugar. And I was a kid that like chugged soda and, and candy and, and hostess everything. And I didn't know, but it was getting me high. It really is like little adults. Like yes. we learn at the end of the day, we have a, a beer or whatever it might be or, or drugs. And kids are learning that same sort of I put something here and it makes me feel good. Exactly. They're taught how to become addicts at a young age. And they say... Even Eric Clapton said that sugar was the gateway drug. I say, you know, sugar's the gateway drug to heroin for sure. Mm. What but, do you mean? Yeah. I mean, like, why heroin specifically? Well, because he was a heroin addict. Oh, okay. You there know. you go. We have Eric Clapton. <laughs> Eric Clapton said he was a heroin addict, and when he got clean, he said, well, sugar was my gateway drug. I ate sugar really got me tuned on to... Sugar turns people on to alcohol and to drugs right. and, to, and to whatever, knowing that they live for getting high. I don't sugar, want to throw out the term neural pathway, but doesn't it form yes, an idea? Same, I the, take this, and I feel this. Definitely. It's the same dopamine energetic system that makes you high from opiates, gets you high from sweets in the same way. But the, so, Oh, go ahead. Yeah. So the, what, I'm, what I'm saying here is that... Um, you know, that a lot of addicts who even get, a, you know, get rid of their addiction, they, they take sugar as a substitute, too. I've known yeah, a lot of alcoholics yeah, that drink 12 Pepsis with dinner now. Yeah, right. And you go, Ed, you go why are you doing that? And it's like, I, I need it. I, I really need this. It's a withdrawal thing. And well, he, it's like a guy, you know, he's shaking. He's eating his donut and soda. And he says, heroin was my gateway drug. It's the sugar and donuts. Yeah, it got him to the heart stuff. Yeah, exactly. That's crazy. But you, you think that uh, I've heard you say uh, that when people think they're hungry, I've said on this podcast many times, when people think they're craving meat, they're really craving fat. That's something that David Wolf said to me. I thought was interesting because sometimes when I stopped eating meat, I would eat an avocado and I was like, oh, I just needed something kind of heavier, if that makes sense. Mm. You're shaking your head. Not really. Not really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I want to. You tell me what you think because you have an interesting idea on what people think hunger is, and you think it's actually something else. Yeah, absolutely. It's that um, I've you know tested and done studies to show that as people increase the nutritional quality of their diet, we're talking about micronutrients here: vitamins, minerals, phytochemicals, antioxidants. Do not contain calories. Mm-hmm. The American diet is ubiquitously deficient in micronutrients. These are micro. Macronutrients are carbohydrates, protein, and, and fat. fat. Right. Carbo- they have cal- calories. They have calories, right. And micro, yeah. or like taking a multivitamin, doesn't have any ca- calories in it because it's just, just vitamins. Right. It's just the micronutrients without the calories. Right. right. And so we, each strawberry has 700 micronutrients in it, phytochemicals and micronutrients. Each, each piece of broccoli has 1,000. 
Wow. So you can't get the micronutrients in, in the inside of a vitamin pill bottle. There's, mm. there, we need the full spectrum of, of these phytochemicals that really prevent cancer. Okay. And I'm saying that as our diet is low in antioxidants and phytochemicals, and as we eat foods like pasta and bread and sal- salad oils and meats, the animal products and the chicken and the bagel doesn't have any micronutrients, antioxidants, and phytochemicals. No significant micronutrient load, just a source of calories. And as you build up these calories without enough micronutrients, you also build up free radicals and other toxins like lipofusion and advanced lication end products and other aldehydes and acids. This is what Joe in Fat Sick and Nearly did. He had a lot of free radicals, which turned into like a skin disorder. Well, that's the way he. That's how he explained it. See, in I forget the movie, I'm talking the to cart- a doctor. If you weren't a doctor, I would get away with that. <laughs> You'd be like, "That's right, Peter. Way to pay attention during that cartoon part of a documentary." <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I've been to medical school. <laughs> I, no, this is exciting. You keep you keep me honest. That's good. But free radicals are bad. Free, yeah, free radicals, radicals lead to and disease. they're an example of toxins. And when you cook oil at high temperature, you produce a lot of free radicals, rancidity. So we're talking here about free radicals are produced in the body, uh-huh. and other toxins that are produced along with free radicals in the body. And most Americans are highly toxic. And when they, and these, the body does, enhances its repair, removes toxins, free radicals, and toxic waste products um, best when we're not eating food, in the non-feeding state. Mm-hmm. So we, look, when you're smoking cigarettes, right? You feel this drive to eat, to smoke a cigarette again, because you stay away from cigarettes too long, you start to feel uncomfortable. But if you smoke a cigarette, you're going to feel better again. Right. You're drinking a cup of coffee, you may get a coffee headache when you stop, but if you want to feel better again, just drink another cup of coffee. When you're eating an unhealthy diet, you're going to feel ill when you stop eating the food and your digestion after about three or four hours where your stomach empties, your body goes into a heightened stage of self-cleansing, and the self-cleansing is a form of detoxification when you feel ill. The ill feeling is right-directed activity. It's repair going on that just feels too uncomfortable. Mm. People mistake that shakiness, that headache, that anxiety, that fatigue, the cramping, the stomach cramping and fluttering. They think that's hunger. And it's just withdrawal from their unhealthy diet. So people aren't feeling hungry. They're feeling withdrawal. They're feeling withdrawal. See, that I think is a... And they feel better when they eat again. Right. Now, if they were eating healthy, they wouldn't feel those symptoms of withdrawal. They would feel true hunger. And they'd feel nothing until they were really hungry and if there was a biological need for calories again. So so people are eating when there's no biological need for calories in response to their toxic hunger, the withdrawal from their unhealthy diet. Right. That has to... Then people have to become overweight. There's no such thing as a normal weight person. When, because they, know, they have no connection between their instinctual drive for hunger, their instinctual drive for calories. It's more like a drug addict. It's a drug addict. So and to feel okay, they have to overeat calories. Right. They must overconsume the calories, more calories than they need, in order to just to feel okay. I just have such a vivid memory of playing basketball as a kid and getting a direct order from my brain to be like, go eat ice cream right now. Like I just got like, right. I probably had ex- extended myself, got a little sweat going, and then I ran over to the ice cream truck and tried to find the most substantial thing they had, which was the ice cream sandwich with the two cookies. And I ate it and then I felt, you know, the baby got his bottle again. Right. You're saying in a situation like that, I thought I was like, oh, I've been exercising. and, and no, you're an addict. Uh, yeah, I was an addict. Right, right. See, and, and we didn't know. That's why I, I want to get this out to and This is why to all, Ameri- all Americans are overweight because yeah. they have to keep eating because the quality of their diet isn't good, isn't good enough. Once you eat a diet with a high quality of nutrients and enough fiber, it shuts off the apostat. You feel nothing. Apostat. <laughs> I just love it. You feel nothing when you don't eat food. Yeah. You don't feel, and the hours go on. You don't feel anything until the point when your glycogen um, reserves are becoming exhausted. Mm. Now, then if you continue not to eat... Because your body needs glycogen. It needs, the brain can only run on glucose. Right. So if your glycogen reserves are exhausted, the brain cannot run on fat. It has to break down muscle tissue to make glucose. We can make mus- glucose from muscle tissue, not from fat. The body is too self-preserving and smart for that. It doesn't burn off muscle tissue needlessly. So it tells you to eat again to get more calories before it will start to eat up your muscle tissue. Hmm. That's called true hunger. 
And that keeps you at a stable weight for the rest of you all the time. It keeps you at that perfect weight. So you feel like you have a really clean connection between your brain and the part. It's all in your brain, but it tells and you the thing exactly, that wants you to eat. That's right. It tells you the correct amount to eat each day, so you maintain your healthiest, most favorable weight for the rest of your. We're life. all getting like AM radio. That's like I think I'm like <laughs> you should maybe eat some pizza or something, and you're just like something, and you goes like, Hey, Joel, eat a radish, right? <laughs> right? Well, it doesn't tell you what to eat, which is right. Because you hunger, hunger is a throat sensation. Health, health in your neck. See, I've heard you say that. So yeah. you're not feeling it where we think we feel no, it. You don't feel fatigue either. Fatigue is not hunger. That's because you're not on a healthy diet. You shouldn't feel fatigue. People eat to keep their energy up. Yeah. That's not, they don't eat food to keep your energy up. Well, absolutely. Right. We're, we're five-hour energy and then we're sleeping pills at night. We, we're right. this close to an on-off switch. Like we just, we just want to feel how we want to feel when we want to feel it. But you're saying you can be far more stabilized. With all this negative stuff. Well, I'm saying you never have to be on a diet. You eat what you feel like eating. Your taste is enhanced when you're really hungry. And you don't want to. He said to me, hey, Joel, walk in the apartment. You want this bowl of soup? You want something to eat? Nah. It looks like a nice bowl of soup, but I'll rather eat it later when I'm hungry when I'm going to enjoy it more. Because right. hunger enhance, enhance, gives you enhanced taste at the same time. You don't feel like eating when you're not hungry. You can sit See, there and you know, give a, have a lion after his kill, give him another – he's not going to kill another animal right next. He, right. Wants to, he wants to get hungry again. But the point is, is that you don't feel like eating, but you, you eat exactly the amount of calories you require. And what if you didn't? What if so big deal? You were off 100 calories a day. You did 100 calories too much. Well, 100 calories a day, 365 days a year, three times three, that's about, that's about 10 pounds a year. Over five years, that's 50 pounds. That cuts short your life, 10 years of your life right there. Just between 100 calories a day. You've got to eat exact amount of ca- It's so important to eat the exact amount of calories you need each day and not too much and not too little. Hmm. To eat the exact amount. The only way you can do that is by eating the right foods, which then have, give you the right instinctual drive. You clean your antenna. Right. To, You're to, getting the messages clear. In, in the wild kingdom, you don't see obese animals in the woods. I've so, seen some. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just I've kidding. seen them in New York. That's the McDonald's on, on, on Times Square. Yeah, you see they'll go beast squirrels. You ever see those real fat squirrels? I've seen the a fat people Manhattan feeding, squirrel. F- feeding you know, french fries too? People yes. eating them french fries and stuff? Well, I remember that study that said uh, MSG... It, it, like one of the th- ways they make lab rats fat is just giving them MSG. Like that's not the point of the study. They want to do studies about obesity, and the way they make right. mice we, fat is giving them MSG. And we can make fats. We can make animals eat more calories by how we adjust the food. Really? Yeah, yeah we know how to do that now with the short sugar and oil. But the, but now we don't need the rats anymore. Yeah, because it's we, spread out to us. We have humans. Yeah, we tested it out. It works. We get humans to do it, and we're all, we're the rats, and we're the you know they're eating fast food, and they get them addicted to these highly concentrated calories, and they think they're enjoying their life more. It's, it really mm. feels like a type of abuse. As, as somebody who grew up yeah, it's, the, yes. the biggest kid in my class and all that stuff, I was like, why? I wish I had known. And I'm very excited that there's the internet and there are these documentaries and there are mm. podcasts like this. And, and now what I'm saying is the good news is you found – this sounds like an infomercial, but it, you have found with science, a, in my opinion, a very reasonable way around it, which doesn't involve – deprivation or anything anything like that like you're not uh shaking it's about giving yourself everything that you need so you feel great as opposed to the traditional model of a diet yeah and most people following nutritarian diet eat what they, they eat what they want to eat they just want the right stuff now they you enjoy it more it. They, right. you know and you get used to eating you, get, you like what you're used to eating your taste buds get stronger you like and you learn the recipes and it's actually a myth to think that a person eating an unhealthy diet is enjoying their diet, their life, or their diet, or their food more than a person eating a healthy diet. That's just not true. Right. I love food, and I have great-tasting food. Right. I even love apple pie. <laughs> you mentioned apple pie a la mode that you can make. Well, I just have, like, I just take an apple. I'll take, like, a, I can make it in, like, five minutes. Yeah. Take a pan, put an eighth of an inch of water in there, throw some currants or raisins in the bottom, turn the flame on, cut the apple in there, put some cinnamon and chopped walnuts in there, close the pot cover. 
let that cook for five minutes so it softens just a drop. While I'm doing that, I'll make my ice cream. I call it vanilla and ice cream. Take two frozen bananas, mix in a teaspoon of um, vanilla bean powder and like eight macadamia nuts or a little unsweetened coconut flake, something like that. Whip it up in the blender so it's smooth and creamy. It has a little fat feel from the, from the macadamia nuts. Put that on top of the on. Now, by that time I did that, my, hot, my apple pie is ready from the oven. I can put it on the plate, put my ice cream on top, and I got apple pie on the mode, all the natural foods, no sweetener. <laughs> and I didn't even need a date to put in there. It was so, it's so, just because the banana is sweet enough. The point I'm making right now is that when you're off the honey, maple syrup, sugar, artificial sweeteners, and just using natural foods, then your taste gets more acutely sensitive to the sugar sensation. And the sweetness in a banana dessert is plenty sweet enough for you. Right. I can make a chocolate pudding or a, or a chocolate brownie with, you know, with beans and almond butter and cocoa powder and one date per person, and it's going to be a delicious dessert that's a little bit of avocado you know, icing on top or right. a little bit of or chocolate ice cream with one date. It's an, you, don't, you don't even want it that sweet. In a conventional dessert, right. you'll say, oh, it's like too sweet. I can't even taste the chocolate anymore. It's so sweet. I but feel so, like people know, can relate yeah. when they stop drinking soda, then they have a sip of soda. They're like, what, what the fuck was I doing? Yeah, like, right. It's so crazy. Yeah, it's crazy because all they did is deaden their taste buds. Right. So now they think they're enjoying their food. But right. if your taste buds were stronger and you were healthier, you'd enjoy food that wasn't as sweet but just see, as this much. Is, this is what I love about this message. It's not about shaming people for wanting to drink yes, soda. <laughs> <laughs> what I, well, we can shame if we'd like, but what I'm saying is, it's more you're saying, you, like you got pulled pulled into something that you didn't understand, right? Like you got tricked. That's yes. why, I like, I think yeah. you're in the freedom business. People are drinking soda, eating cake, all that stuff because we think it's normal. And you're saying it doesn't have to be that way. And that, so tell 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 the good hi Brody, tell the people what a nutritarian is basically. Well, the word nutritarian is a word I coined that means a person who um, is eating very healthfully and eating and trying to get a sufficient nutrients in their diet. And um, there could be people that are philosophical nutritarians. They, a new philosophical nutritarian is a person that understands that they're in control of their health and the quality of they live, that they live their life and how healthy they eat affects their long-term health later on in life. You know? Right. And so in, it's about longevity. It's about health. It's about not getting a stroke, not getting a heart attack, right. reversing so you, diabetes. You, or being, you being in control of right. your life, not having it be luck, right? Or even genetics. Well, that, that's one of the crazy things that we all do. Is we all walk around going like, and I do this. I'm like, is today the day that I feel some weird pain, and I go to somebody like you, and you're like, sorry, yeah. like. We go to do- we go to and, hospitals and fear and that, that fear, living yeah. with fear of getting cancer every minute can't walk walk one to a bus you're gonna have a heart attack yeah any any time over the age of sixty I want to be doing moguls and you know and yeah. playing volleyball on the beach and sprinting and racing my kids and see who could run faster and, and, <laughs> and you know, still and, winning damn it yeah exactly you know well, I, I mean, feel like we go to- to, you want to live longer and do all the things you did in your fifties sixties seventies and eighties yeah. and your, that you do in your twenties you know why should you change why should your life not get the full and you're saying it doesn't have to. I get the feeling when I go to the doctor, if I have some weird thing that I, they want them to check out, you have your freedom pass, and then you go into the, do- into the hospital, and you're like, are you going to renew my freedom pass? Like, can I leave and continue behaving exactly the same way? You talk about it like hitting your hand with a hammer right. and then going to the doctor. You, you tell it. It's your right. thing. It's better. And also, the point I was making right now is fear is bad for your health. Yeah. And going for these medical tests yes. and constant fear of disease. When you eat healthy, you have the fear of disease on you, in you all the time. When you eat healthy, you have freedom of fear. And it not only makes your brain um, makes you so you have your full brain faculties as you age, yeah. but it means that you're aging in with joy. That's yeah. what I'm saying. That's why yeah. I'm having you on. Yeah. This isn't about fat shaming or anything. This is about life living and right. joy having. And that's why I get very excited right. talking to you now. And I'm saying you hit your hand with a hammer. I mean, yeah. it's like going to a doctor. You, you, you say you, you hit your hand with a hammer every day. You go to a doctor, gives you a pill, to take away your pain. You go back home and hit your hand with a hammer again. Right. You know, you're looking for drug seeking behavior. 
Right. You know, you go into doctors and whose whose um, toolbox are are drugs. Right. You can't get health from drugs. Right. You can't buy your health in a bottle. Right. You have to earn it. Drugs have nothing to do with your health. Right. You know? And you, you've even said that the, the health industry can even be downright harmful. It's just the way that it's been set up. I said it a little more um, adamant than that. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> well, please. I'm saying here that this sounds quite radical, but I think I have the science to support it. I love it. That, that what the medical profession mostly does is not just worthless. <laughs> because worthless means not good or not bad. It just means nothing. It's neutral. Neutral. Cumulatively, it's worse than worthless. Because when you're treating people with blood pressure, when the number one drugs are blood pressure medications, diabetic medications, anxiety medications, antidepressants, and, and um, cholesterol drugs, these drugs who's, who, where the person has the high blood pressure, has the anxiety, has the depression, has the high cholesterol because of what they're eating, mm-hmm. and you don't give them the opportunity that they could have gotten well, and you just have a drug that's going to cause more further serious problems like cancer, right. or keep them, you know, then, you've, then you've sold that person out, and you've, given them, you've added the toxic drug. It's not like a person with a hammer now who smacked their hand is just getting a pill. Now they added more toxic and, and cancer-causing and more harmful substances in their body over and above hitting themselves with a hammer because right. the drug put further toxins into their body on top of the bad foods they were eating. So they're worse now. They're, it's their long-term health. And antibiotics cause cancer, you know, f- double the risk of breast cancer, 14 courses of antibiotics through your life. The point is, is that, you know, and most of them are prescribed for people who have viral infections in which they don't work. People go to doctors and doctors use fear and the people are fearful of getting sick and people give the people what they want to give the drugs that they know are cancer-causing or dangerous, and in the elderly people and the, that, that aren't going to help them anyway. Mm. And if they were going to help them, like lowering their blood pressure to prevent a stroke or lowering their blood pressure to hurt their kidneys, then it would have been better if they had used, or diabetics medication, then it would be better if they had used nutrition, not the drug. In the ACCORD study was that we took, the National Institute of Health did it in 2008, they had to stop the study, because the people had more medical care, more doctor visits and more visits with a nurse practitioner to keep their glucose in the most favorable range for the diabetics. The more they had the doctor visits, the more they kept their glucose lower, the increased their death rate rapidly. Oh, so really? they had to stop the study. The opposite of what they wanted. That's right. It had the opposite effect because <laughs> more control of the glucose meant more drugs. And right. the drugs make you gain weight. The drugs make, make the beta, family beta cells in the pancreas overwork themselves, pushing harder. It poops you out faster, so you become, your diabetes becomes more advanced. It leads to and more insulin and more growth-promoting drugs like this make you promote cellular replication in cancer. More of these drugs cause cancer. They accelerate your, your, your diabetic parameters, get worse over time. They look like they're de- temporarily getting better, but over time they make you worse. Hmm. It's like bringing your car to the gas station mechanic with the oil light flashing on your dashboard, and he reaches in there with a wire clippers, and he cuts the wire to the dashboard so you can't leave the wa- the, the, um, the you light can't see the light water. flashing, and then you drive your car with no oil, and your car bur- burns out. Here we go to the doctor. He fixes the blood pressure with a medication or the blood glucose with a medication, but it makes you burn out the car faster. Mm. They didn't tell you about that, that you're going to burn risk of cancer from the drugs. They're going to burn out the diabetes faster. They're going to worsen and give you the drug. Put in a stent in your heart mm. for, stable, for angina, and now we put a foreign body in your heart, which increases the chance of having a clot from the rest of your life. And the, by the way, putting the stent did not extend your life. Because it doesn't stop future heart attacks, because the vulnerable plaque isn't the most obstructive plaque that has the calcifications causing the blockage anyway. It's the other part of the heart that you don't even take, treat with the stent that's going to cause the heart attack. But mm. now they put the foreign body with the stent in your heart. Now we've got to put you on blood thinning drugs the rest of your life. And these blood thinning drugs now increase your risk of hemorrhagic stroke and gastrointestinal bleeding. Mm. And now you have to be on a drug. And so you're now you're in. Now you're taking a, port, a drug for the drug. <laughs> you're taking a drug for the drug. So now you're at higher risk of hemorrhagic stroke because you thin the blood. 
And then the blood pressure medication caused atrial fibrillation. So now you, so we gave you a high risk of hemorrhagic stroke. But of course, they irritate your stomach from these blood thinners. Now they got to give you a drug for that. And those drugs weaken your bones. And you know, and then the drug for weakening your bones that they give women increased risk of atrial fibrillation. We're back to that again. Oh my god! Which is irregular heartbeat. They give you a drug. For, you know, so it's all a vicious cycle. So what I'm saying that the, it, it's bizarre. It's barbaric, and people are completely uninformed. And I would be okay if you want to get into this medical model of treating everything with a pill and you think your life's going to be better eating the junk food to earn that. And I wouldn't have any objection to that if people were adequately informed, mm-hmm. if they had comprehensive informed consent. If they knew they were if doing If they knew it. all the risks of what they were going through, if they knew how effectively they could reverse their diabetes and get off the drug, cholesterol-lowering drugs, if they knew how the blood pressure could more be effectively treated with the right diet, and they still chose to take those drugs and going to double the risk of getting breast cancer or increase the risk of hemorrhagic stroke, they want to go that way, go ahead. It's a free world. Mm. But I'm thinking there are millions more people that would adopt a more aggressive nutritional approach had they been given all the correct facts. Hmm. And they're, they're, not, they're never made aware of. Right. Yeah. Wow. I, I, I had to take Brody's toy while you were saying that. Brody's <laughs> getting excited about this, too. He's getting... Say. Well, this is what I love. I've, I've heard you say this stuff before. I wanted you to say it on the show. And you're still so passionate about it. I, I really... I literally was concerned for you. I was like, oh, I'm going to ask Dr. Furman all these things. He's... What is a nutritarian and all this stuff? And here you are... Demonstrating higher level of uh, brain function and energy and passion. And I'm 95 years old. <laughs> <laughs> but it, okay, I, I, I'm still tripping on the idea that you take bi- antibiotics five cycles and it doubles your chance of breast cancer. Is that what you said? I think five cycles are one and one and a half times the risk of breast cancer. I think it's 14 or 17 cycles. I think it's like. I, I don't have the study right in front of me, yeah, sure. but I think it's like 15 or 20 cycles doubles your risk of breast cancer, and 5 to 10 cycles only increases it one and a half times higher risk of breast cancer, so, something like that. So he, a friend of mine uh, recently got diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, and I know that you've I've, – I've watched some documentaries on this subject and stuff, so I've seen the testimonials and whatnot. Right, and I wrote a book called The End of Diabetes. Brody, so I have buddy, a, you're killing me. Some of my books are like, one is called The End of Heart Disease, and the other is called The End of Diabetes and The End of Diabetes. So that's the names of my titles in my books. So sure. people know if they have high blood pressure or cholesterol, get this book. If you have diabetes, get this book. Reverse your diabetes. You know, and this become is non-diabetic. People, people, it's not news to me, but I think this is news to people. People with type 2 and sometimes type 1 diabetes, you can reverse that through diet is what we're saying. Isn't it crazy that a person with diabetes wouldn't know they had the option to reverse it? That's what I'm saying. Isn't it crazy? They don't even know they could reverse it. Yeah. And that's what's really terrible. terrible. No. Okay, so let's let me clarify that though because it's yeah. important. Um, a type 2 diabetic is the type that can be reversed. Yeah. That's the person who usually is overweight. And they developed it later in life. Type 1 is those more likely to be childhood onset where their pancreas, the beta cells in the pancreas are destroyed. Right. That's not typically reversible, especially when you're catching it later on in life. However, it's so critically important that a type 1 diabetic adopts a nutritarian diet because they're conventionally treated with all the insulin they need to keep their glucoses low. And they're not told that, if they, that they're doubling or tripling their need for insulin. They don't, if they're using 60 units a day, that's going to cut short their life by 30 years. Mm-hmm. You have to eat a diet that only requires you to use 20 units a day, not 60 units a day. In other words... What I'm saying is that mm. type 1 diabetics are kill, they're, that they're have incredible morbidity and early mortality because they're overusing insulin because the diet they're on is inappropriate for them. Mm-hmm. And even though they're still going to require some insulin, their insulin needs would be two-thirds less. They wouldn't have highs and lows, and they have a normal life to live 95 to 105 years old without having the morbidity of the kidney problems, the eye problems, the nerve problems that the diabetics are so, so typically get, leading mm-hmm. cause of blindness. And the other thing is, I do have type 1s that reverse their diabetes. Mm-hmm. But they came to me. It's a few of them, not many. It's a few that came to me when they were very young, like four- to seven-year-old kids. 
that whose parents brought them in when they were first diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, and they immediately adopted the nutritarian diet. And as they went into their honeymoon period, they never came out. Mm. In other words, they ate so healthfully when they were just getting the diabetes at a very young age that they were able to recover from it. And eventually, the antibodies to the, against the beta cells in the pancreas start to come back to normal. And I have a lot of these kids right now that I'm treating that have type 1 diabetes, that, are off their in, that had type 1 diabetes, that are off their insulin. You can at least lower the insulin. No, they're off their insulin completely. Off they're off it. They don't, have type, <laughs> they don't have type 1 anymore. They're cured. That's but but that's, not the tr- that's not most type 1 diabetics. That's only because we caught it so early so on. Early. I even have one kid that caught it before he became type 1 diabetic. They caught, the ba- they caught the antibodies in his blood cells starting to increase that would put him at higher risk of developing type 1 diabetes if he got the virus that, that kind of like works with the... Um, antigens to destroy the beta cells. So we got him. We we caught him early on. So now he's on the reversal program. He never had type one diabetes. Hmm. But we're preventing him from getting it because he had the blood markers that indicated he was at high risk for it. Hmm. Wow. So what I'm saying to you is that I don't. <laughs> so even though I consider type one diabetes not a typically reversible illness, there are some cases, unique cases where it has been reversed if we caught it very early. But that type two that is sometimes I, I'm not an expert caused by diet and and extra or whatever it might be. Can be reversed with diet. Right. Type, most type 2 diabetics are insulin resistant. Their pancreas is still producing enough insulin. If they eat properly, they lose weight, they get healthy, they have enough insulin production to not need medication, to have normal hemoglobin A1Cs and not be diabetic. Mm-hmm. So they're essentially non-diabetic because they have normal blood parameters and don't need medication. So Should what? they go back and eat poorly again and go gain weight again, they'll get diabetes again. Right. But as long as they're eating right, they're non-diabetic. Right. That, that brings me to the next thing. What should we be eating? <laughs> Dr. Furman... What should we eat? I know it's different for different people, but generally speaking, I know you, uh, you don't like plant-based. You say plant-dominant, plant-rich. plant-rich. Yeah, plant-rich. You're, you, what do you is know it? so much about me? I've done my research, I oh. suppose. See, I, I have celebrities and stuff on this show, mm-hmm. and that's exciting. Mm-hmm. But like, when I have somebody like you on, I'm like, I really <laughs> research. I get really excited. I'm like, oh, I only have a couple hours with them. i got to get everything out. What are those people called when they follow you around? They look at you all. They're constantly looking at like celebrities. People who follow celebrities. Oh, paparazzi. No, 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 no. It's like when a person's like um, uh, stalkers. Stalkers. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. there you are. You're I'm a stalker. Oh, you're stalking me. <laughs> I've been doing a very long con. I met you once casually in Hawaii, and I played it very slow. So a couple years later, I asked you to do my. Podcast. I noticed there was a van in front of parked in front of my house in New Jersey, like a black van. Yeah, like I've been watching. Oh, I've been watching. I want to make sure you're actually eating what you say you're eating. Okay. Okay. Good. But you say health is equal to nutrients. Nutrients over calories, right? Right. Health equals your healthy life expectancy. H equals your N over C. Nutrients over calories. In other words, you can predict your lifespan by your nutrient, um, micronutrient density of your diet. So it's calorie. not about calories. It's about how – wait. You say don't count calories. Make your calories count. Look, I'll do this for you. <laughs> make your calories you even count. Have, you even got my jokes now. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do. I got the Al-Qaeda one. No, as a comedian, I'm watching. I'm like, oh, he's got bits. He's got bits. <laughs> yeah, right. We call him bits. Right, right. But uh, you're, you're talking about eating mm. as much as you mm. want of stuff that has a lot of this eating, magic in it. Yeah, eating large amounts of high-nutrient foods. That's right. right. And I'm saying that um, as you eat higher amounts of high-nutrient food, it naturally stops food cravings and overeating because you're eating so much, putting so much nutrients into your body. The methodology right. which you control your cravings and your appetite, it is more high-nutrient foods. Right. Right. And we're talking about G-bombs here. G-bombs. G-B-O-M-E-S. Let me see if I can do that. Greens, Greens. beans, onions, mm. mushrooms, berries. And seeds. Seeds. You left off seeds. Shit. I got <laughs> flax seeds right there, man. That's because of you. I started putting flax seeds 
in my smoothie, and now I'm worried that smoothies are bad. <laughs> are oh. smoothies good? Yeah, sure. <laughs> how could you be worried? And you know, it's like, how could a person not eat flax seeds? Tell how me could about flax seeds. Not eat flax See, seeds. this is the jukebox portion. Let's just talk about flax seeds. I want because yeah. I've been uh, uh, trying to eat healthy for a very long time now. Again, I'm soft, but I, I eat healthy, and uh, flax seeds were never a part of my diet. And now I'm eating flax seeds because you've talked about them. Right. Tell me about flax seeds. Like a recent study is they followed women who had breast cancer for 10 years. Those who had a, a third of a milligram of lignin in the diet, and flax seeds are the highest lignin-containing food, mm-hmm. had a 71% reduction in dying of breast cancer over that 10-year period. Now, keep in mind here that when you eat a food to protect against cancer, the effects go down as your cancer advances. As you age older, there's more effects when you're younger before you have the cancer. Right. It like still reduced breast cancer risk of death for 71% even when they had cancer. Is that right? You know, so that means that the effect would have been much more powerful had they taken it. And they only had a third of a milligram of lignin. A, a tablespoon of flaxseed has 21 milligrams of lignin in it. 21 <laughs> milligrams. And it lowers blood pressure more than blood pressure medications do. And it lowers cholesterol. And it has an effect, beneficial effect on brain function and on, mm. on, on mood. And those mm-hmm. who are talking here about flaxseeds, chia seeds, sesame seeds, seeds, that's why they're S and G bombs. These, each, each food individually in the G bomb list, the greens, the beans, lower cancer rates by a tremendous pro- amount. But if we put together a diet with a portfolio of all these foods that have powerful anti-cancer effects, longevity-promoting effects, that's where the magic happens. Mm-hmm. You know, like but, we mix together the mushrooms with the green vegetables in the diet. Right. You know, so that's Well, because of is. you, I've been putting re- raw red onion. When I make beans, I'll put raw red oh, onion really? on it because oh, you say red onion has things in it that helps you get even more out of the beans. It's phenomenal. Say it's you're just, yeah, you, yeah. That's, what, that's just science. You're saying there's stuff in raw red onion that helps you get more out of the beans. Yeah, and let me tell you this one, too, because this is always... T- Tips! It's always fun to talk about... Um, Toilet jokes, you know. (laughs) See, here's what happens here. When you eat beans, see, because all carbohydrates can be scored on a hierarchical scale of quality. And one of the things we use to score the quality, besides the fiber content and the nutrient content, the micronutrients, is the amount of resistant starch in the food. Mm -hmm. And beans are the richest source of resistant starch, which means that a portion of the carbohydrates are not able to be enzymatically degraded. And because of that, it can't be utilized as calories. They're instead fermented by bacteria in the gut. And because they're changed into fat, the carbohydrates are convented, fermented into fat. But the fat passes into the stool because the fermentation occurs so far down the digestive tract. I've heard you past, say this. Past the place where it can be absorbed, past the small intestines. So it's like 200 calories in a can of beans, but But not, like not 50 calories will pass through you and then you put, become stool fat. Right. Right? So it doesn't get absorbed. Right. Now, the more you eat these beans on a regular basis, you get, build up the bacteria that digests them better and you stop producing gas from them. Ah, there you go. <laughs> now, when you're eating the greens and beans and mushrooms and when you're eating all these foods in, in, in your diet, the bacterial biofilm becomes more adherent to the villi in the small intestines. See, the small intestines is, is like a hose, right? That's a curly hose going all around. And the lumen or the center of the hose has like a peach fuzz, mm-hmm. or like a, a felt on the interior wall, the lining, that's like, um, that are like the villi or like finger-like projections, right. um, increasing the surface area by more than tenfold. And stuck onto those villi, that surface, are these adherent, this adherent bacteria biofilm that, produ- that, that builds up because you eat a regular bean eater. You eat green vegetables, beans, and mushrooms, and onions, and raw onion, and you build up this adherent biofilm. Now, this adherent biofilm lowers the glucose, the, the rate at which glucose passes through the villi now. So when you eat a mango or some oatmeal, the glycemic load of that oatmeal is lower, and the mango is lower. Is that right? Not as much glucose. It takes longer to get the glucose into your bloodstream. So your insulin response isn't as high. So well, it's protective against diabetes, makes you live longer. And weight gain, I'm not And protective against weight gain. Yeah. Now, this is much more effective than taking probiotics or taking yogurt or taking sauerkraut or fermented foods because those um, bacteria pass through you. 
Whereas mm. when you eat, when you build up the healthy bacteria by eating right, the biofilm and the, hev- the favorable microbiome is more adherent. Means it lives there, it remains there. It's more it takes a more permanent residence there. Mm. And, it's, and scientists call that the second meal effect. What that means is. Not only the meal when you eat the beans, but the meals when you're not eating beans, you're getting the benefit from eating beans. Mm. So you're getting benefit from eating the beans in up subsequent meals, and they call it the second meal, but it's really the third, fourth, fifth meal. It means any meal you eat, if you're a regular eater of beans, is going to have benefits as far as nutrient production, as far as lowering the glycemic effect. Because of your intestine. Because of the intestine microbiome from becoming a regular bean eater. <laughs> you saw the Harry Potter movie, The House of the Bean Eaters. Wasn't there one house of the bean eaters or something? I'm pretty sure one of them was a bean, bean eater. house. Yeah, yeah for okay. sure. Yeah, okay. That's interesting. I was going to ask you about probiotics and enzymes. I, I take... Uh, I forget what it's called, Digest Gold or something. It has probiotics and enzymes in it. But you're saying... I'm saying you don't need that stuff. Diet is the best way to get when you it. Don't, when you eat right, you don't need that stuff. Right. right. What about fiber? I, I, I love taking like psyllium husk or something at night. Mm-hmm. It helps. It just makes everything easier. I'm a big <laughs> proponent of that. Do you... We know broccoli has an incredible nutrient called indole-3-carbinol in it. Uh-huh. But there's a thousand other nutrients in it too. The most active ingredient in broccoli is the broccoli. <laughs> what do you mean? It's the fiber? No, it's everything that's in the broccoli. Oh, it's just the whole thing. It's the whole thing. So when you're taking the fiber, you're taking this, you're taking that. I'm saying if you no, the Americans are eating 10 grams of fiber a day. You eat a healthy diet, you're getting 50, 60 grams of fiber a day. Right. You're getting, you know, you know, tons of fiber. So Why would not- you take more fiber? Your diet, if you're eating the right foods, your diet has all the fiber you need. If you're eating the right foods, you're having all the microbiome. We don't need the digestive enzymes if eating the right food anyway. <laughs> Body, you know, we're, we're talking people about- are going to have to listen to this podcast on half mm. speed. <laughs> so some people speed them up because the guests Am are too I talking slow. Fast? No, I love it. Okay. This is great for me. This is this is like my cocaine. <laughs> This is exciting. <laughs> um, well, let's make a smoothie. What would we put in the smoothie? I, I could tell you what I put in my smoothie, and you can give me the Dr. Furman yes or no. Okay, good. Almond milk. Is it sweetened or unsweetened? Unsweetened, baby. Okay. What is this, amateur hour? Okay. It's also spring water. It's spring water almond milk. I think that's okay. Uh, green tea. I'm putting green tea in it. Okay. I'm putting whole ginger in it. Okay. I'm putting, because of you, frozen blueberries, mm-hmm. frozen cherries. Uh, I'm putting a lot of kale, <laughs> a lot, a lot of kale, putting either parsley or cilantro in it. And then we start, you're not a big, like, like David Wolf weirdo stuff. Like I put maca in it. I put, I put some of those like superfood things and I put rock cacao in it, that sort of stuff. Yeah. That's for flavor. If you want to do that stuff, it's okay. It tastes all right. Yeah. But that's, that's pretty much it. That's pretty good. You didn't put, oh, I put well. walnuts in it too. Oh, walnuts are great. Walnuts yeah. are really, the king of walnuts. For your brain. Yeah. They, they really are good for the, they are good for the brain. I know. I got that from, but they also look like little brains, which is weird. It's that like is this little brain. clue yeah. from the universe. But they protect your heart. They're very powerful against making you live longer in general. But you're, Sure, that's good. I mean, the only things with the smoothies is if people put in too much sweetener, yeah. including too much, including too many dates or too much right. and honey and maple syrup and artificial sleep, even stevia, which is no calories and not really that bad for you. Yeah. But the point is it keeps you craving sweets and it keeps the brain stimulating, wanting to, keeps your taste buds wanting to oversweeten things. Yeah. If you're having everything that's heavily sweetened, you want to eat foods that are heavily sweetened all the time. It just starts a trend. It's not, right. It starts you rec- desiring highly sweetened substances. Well, let's, pl- let's play more jukebox. Uh, coffee. How do you feel about coffee? I think it's okay in moderate amounts. It's, of course, unless, unless they're sweetening it. Yeah. You know, but, it, but of course, in, or at least keeping you up at night or it's making you not sleep as well or you're addicted to it and you're, because of the addictive withdrawal of the headaches or the buzz you get from coming off coffee. It's making you eat more food because eating food can, med- can lessen the headache from coffee. Interesting. So it could be a, a trigger to eat more calories. As long as you're slim and it's not a trigger to eat more calories, and as long as you're eating it in the morning and, not, and you're not going to have an, a lot that's going to affect you when you're sleeping at night and you're not, you know, so... 
So in moderate amounts, it's favorable. And for Americans, they, know bean, they don't eat enough black and dark beans and other types of um, those kind of flavanols and black beans and blackberries and blueberries, right? So then the coffee bean becomes a bean they're eating, and they get some polyphenols that benefit them to, mm. so to a degree. Okay. But it wouldn't really benefit. You didn't have to drink coffee for those polyphenols. You could just eat other, other foods that, are, that have those polyphenols in them. Right. But so there's some, there's some you know, <laughs> silver lining to the coffee, so to speak, and the caffeine would be the negative part, but there's some beneficial parts, especially for people who are not regularly eating the beans and dark polyphenol foods. Okay. And then I was surprised. I only asked you one question because I didn't want to bother you when I met you in Hawaii. But we, I, we were talking about being raw. And at mm-hmm. the time, I really like I – I still like eating a lot of raw food. Mm-hmm. And I was hosting a talk show, and that was really good for my energy. I never really felt bogged down, so I ate a lot of raw stuff. Right. But then you were like, you should cook your mushrooms. You were like, yes. that, that is better to eat a cooked mushroom than a raw mushroom. Right. You remember that, right. Because it's better to eat the green vegetables and the onions raw because there's an enzyme – called myrosinase in the green vegetable. It's heat sensitive. And then the onion has its alienase. It's heat sensitive. And when you deactivate those enzymes with cooking, then when you're chewing or blending or eating those foods, you're not forming as many of the anti-cancer compounds. Hmm. So the certain foods benefit by eating more. But mushrooms, very rich in anti-cancer compounds, longevity-promoting compounds. It's like a, a, aromatase inhibitors in mushrooms and angiogenesis inhibitors in mushrooms, which prevent cancer and from, prevent fat cells from growing on your body. Hmm. But there's also a mild carcinogen in mushrooms called the garotene. And when you heat up a mushroom, even steam it or walk it for even two minutes, it blows off into the air. Hmm. And, the, and the beneficial compounds aren't destroyed with cooking in a mushroom like they would be in the green vegetable. So, yes, it's better to eat most of your mushrooms cooked, not raw. Mm-hmm. And I remember I also said, I was like, how do you cook that? Like basic, like if people are listening and they want to dabble in it, something mm-hmm. that you taught me, it seems so basic, was to cook the mushrooms just in like vegetable stock. Because my first thought was, you're going to cook mushrooms, you're going to use coconut oil or something. Yeah, you right. think it's like a healthy oil or olive oil. People, these are healthy oils. You were like, no, just maybe a little veggie stock. You were just talking about that recipe where you're cooking in water. That, that I think, is news to people. Like what, what are some things that... Like you, you take, a, take a walk, put it on the stove. Put a quarter cup of water in there. Throw you a whole bunch of broccoli, water chestnuts, snow pea pods, chopped onions and mushrooms and shredded cabbage and dump it in there. Right? Mm-hmm. Let, let that cook for five minutes. Stir it around a little bit. But at the same time, you do that. Make a sauce for it. Make a nice sauce. Let it start cooking in the water while you make a nice sauce. Mm-hmm. Throw into your blender maybe a peanut butter, some hemp seeds, a date, maybe, so, maybe a squeeze of lemongrass paste in there to give it like a Thai flavoring. <laughs> maybe a little cumin or a little bit turmeric for anti-cancer effects and like a little spice. Put that in the blender. But you can put a little almond milk in there to get a little the thickness you want. Whip it up. Your sauce is done. Pour that onto the right out of the blender, right onto the cooking vegetables now. <laughs> it's ready to go. And just walk it for another two minutes. You've got a great thigh I vegetable dish. I just love dish. how excited right. you are. You're, I, so, I'm so excited. <laughs> it's rainy. We got locked out of my <laughs> office. I was like, Dr. Berman is not going to want to talk about delicious Thai peanut <laughs> recipes. It really is exciting. Nobody gives a, Nobody cares about what they're doing. You really care about it. And you make people excited about it. Like, yeah. you just made me excited about a vegetable stir fry. No big deal, right? When, yes, no big deal. But most people, like, you know, my in-laws are not vegan, for example. They come over our house. We try and cook them, like, a vegan meal and be like, this is vegan. And it just doesn't compute as a meal unless there was... Like the idea of just having soup for a meal is preposterous mm-hmm. to a lot of people that I know and love. But the beans give you that help, that hefty kind of feel to the meal. Without the beans, or just the vegetables are too light, the calories. I completely agree. Know, beans and nuts add that hefty feel. But, but like nobody, I was on live with yeah. Kelly, with Kelly and Michael, uh-huh. right? And so I'm putting the, I'm selling to Michael, you know, I'm going to show you how to make a healthy burger. 
And he says, yeah, well, I love my meat burgers. You're not going to take away my meat. <laughs> so I'm taking the, the, the um, pot warmer, and I'm smacking him with the pot warmer <laughs> and saying, you're not going to touch my – you're going to like this burger better than your regular meat burgers. Yeah. You've got to try it. And I put one ounce of meat in a bean mushroom onion burger, right? Uh-huh. Actually tasted better than one ounce of meat instead of his eight-ounce burger, right? Right. So it still had some meat in there. But I showed him he can have one ounce of animal product a day and still be on a plant, you know, plant-rich diet. Or you can use them animal products as a condiment to get that flavor. The bean burger still had the meaty taste to it, but it had other subtle flavors mixed in with it. And right. he said, and Michael Strahan said, this is the best burger I ever ate in my life. Is that right? Yeah, on television. What right a compliment. Now. That's yeah. so wonderful. Yeah, so that was cool. I, mm. I'm hip to the people need to relax about protein game, but I feel like we could talk about that a little bit. Sure. You're actually a little bit concerned, maybe not concerned, informed that maybe... Yeah, it's a better word. Yeah, you're informed that people are eating too much protein. Well, animal protein in particular has yeah. effect to raise insulin-like, insulin-like growth factor 1, IGF-1. Mm-hmm. In other words, that the American population is poisoned by their excessive consumption of animal protein. Mm. And, and the reason we give credence to these studies, and how do we know who to believe? Some guy comes on a, on a podcast or on a television or on a, on, the, on a magazine article or the news, and he says, eat more meat. Butter is back. <laughs> it's the sugar killing you, not the meat. You know, right. Or get, you know, Atkins, Zucan, Paleo, boo-boo diet, whatever it is. You know? <laughs> the boo-boo diet. <laughs> the boo-boo diet. <laughs> yogi boo-boo. and boo-boo. Yeah, 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 the yogi and boo-boo. It's where you only eat small bears. <laughs> oh, in picnic baskets. <laughs> I got the it. Gorilla, anyway, the, <laughs> the point is, is that we give more credence to studies that follow people for decades, 10, 20, 30 years, large numbers of people looking at hard endpoints. Like I the China the, study. Yeah, well, or the, the, a lot of studies. Like, you know, I can give you a Twinkie diet, and it might look better in a year because you got sick of eating Twinkies. You cut your calories back, and you lost weight. But <laughs> over the 10-year, 20-year period, you're going to die of cancer with eating Twinkie diet, even though your weight is better. Right. The point is here is that a study published, let's say, in British Medical Journal in 2012 following 6,000 people between the ages of 50 and 65 followed them for 18 years, that those that had higher amounts of animal protein – had a four-fold increased risk of cancer, 400% increased risk of cancer, and a 75% increase of total death over that 18-year period in the higher protein group compared to the low, protein, low animal protein group. Mm-hmm. The lower animal protein group was less than 10% of animal product, which is less than 7.5% animal protein. The higher group was 30% or animal product, which is, like, which is less than what Americans eat. Mm-hmm. And you have these... these um, we know, like 60%. Trainer, you know, these trainers and paleo people advocating people eat 50 to 60% of calories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When we know that when you move from 10% to 30%, cancer rates go up fourfold. Mm-hmm. That's one study. Why believe one study? Mm-hmm. Let's pick more, more studies. Look at the studies. What, which studies we give more credence to? The answer is the ones that have large numbers of people that go on for many decades and use hard endpoints like death, right? <laughs> that's a hard death. That's a hard yeah, endpoint. That's a hard one, right? yeah. Study on 129,000 people. Well, yeah, the 129,000 people study showed that people had a 43% increased risk of death with higher amounts of animal products compared to lower amounts. Let's look at the study on, the, on 40, 49,000 women who were studied cardiovascular deaths. They rated these women's diet. We're talking about 40, over 30,000, 40,000 women here. Mm-hmm. They rated their diets based on, on 1 to 20. They got a score of 1 to 20. 1 was like a vegan or mostly vegetables. 20 was Atkins type, like totally mm-hmm. ketogenic, protein, high protein, low vegetable consumption. The whole di- all the study people they studied were not eating much sugar in their diet. Mm-hmm. Low sugar, low processed foods diets, just looking at the otherwise the same, because the only difference was the animal product consumption was different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, they, and the amount of animal products got a score of 1 to 20. And they found that as you went up from one, two, three, four, five, every score going up, you, the risk of death went up 2% for every point going up. And the people above 16 had a 60% increased risk of cardiovascular death, not even cancer death, hmm. compared to those below six. See, when so we're showing here that what I'm saying is that <laughs> yes, please. 
not controversial. It's completely irresponsible to advocate people eat high amounts of animal products. We could talk about what, ex- what lower amounts are acceptable. We could say, where is the gray area of discussion here? But the idea that animal products are favorable, it has to be, we Americans as a, as a whole have to tremendously cut back on the amount of animal proteins they mm. eat because we even know the mechanisms involved, we, which the hormonal effects from eating so much animal protein, why they raise the hormones, how it has the effects, it's all explainable. You know, and we know how it works. We have the, and we have the data. It's, 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 it's established science by now. It's funny that you say the studies that we favor. You're speaking as a scientist. I'm speaking... <laughs> As as a regular person, I'm like, typically the the studies that we favor are the ones that say go eat more meat. Like we love those studies. Right. Like I remember, and the you first can make time- a study do anything you want. The egg company can show a study. They can pull out. They can say, okay, look, it didn't matter if people ate more or less eggs here. We can you know we can compare eggs to put donuts in. Put you know in other words, right? Um, the studies on saturated fat, butter is back, is all about putting people on more high glycemic carbohydrates and taking out the fats. And high glycemic carbohydrates are worse than the fats, but it doesn't make the fats good because your high glycemic carbohydrates are worse. It didn't exonerate the saturated fat. Right. The eggs aren't. Ex- it's just the lesser two evil. That's right. So one, you don't buy a car by comparing it to a junkyard wreck. The point <laughs> is, is that it didn't make another thing good because the other thing was bad. Well, Even you know. So we're talking here about we really have to compare. Look at what's the best way to eat. Well, when I watch uh, your PBS talks and stuff, I get this overwhelming, and I try not to do this because I, I don't think I have a savior complex, but I do like to proselytize, and I tell people what's really exciting to me, and that's why I'm having you on the podcast. They can listen or not, yeah. but now that we have them, <laughs> I have so many friends on the paleo diet. I, I will say, I take issue with the idea that it's eating like a caveman, because no caveman killed seven ducks, two pigs, and a, and a cow in one day. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, There's so much meat going on. But then when I hear you saying that it's 400% more likely to get cancer when you're eating right. all those animal products, right. I, I feel like I have to tell them. Like I, I want them. That's why I'm having you on the show. Right. It's, it's almost it's ill will not to say something. That's what it's, it's, you're, you're making yourself more comfortable. Right. But it's not goodwill to be comfortable. Right. It's goodwill to be uncomfortable because maybe you're going to help their life. Even if they don't do it, at least you had gave them the opportunity. At least to, you gave them the agency. Right. You're like, now you're doing it. Yeah. Let's look in, at some of the data here and just way. do this and looking at some of this data because there's lots of studies that show that this could be dangerous. Right. So you write uh, books, you write cookbooks, and you're, and you're making – basically you're saying eat plants, eat nutrients, go into the produce section and find creative ways to raw and cook. Right. We're, maybe a, a mixture of raw and cooked. We want people to eat cooked beans in their diet, very protective against longevity. All blue zones, people, all people, groups What's of people. Zone? Blue zones are areas around the world where you have the most centenarians, most people living in over 100. Uh huh. And all the blue zones. Centenarians. Zo- you have a lot of fun terms. <laughs> I didn't invent that word. No, I know. I don't think you invited the, <laughs> the only one either, but they're great. <laughs> they're fun. <laughs> the only word I coined was nutritarian. Yeah, there you go. And that's a good one. That's a great word, right? I like that it's just so indifferent. Like, if, if you read data that said we should all be eating a cow head and it needs to be freshly killed in front of us, you'd be like, well, that's what we should be eating. Right. Whereas I, you know, I, I, like a lot of vegans, you know, became vegan and then started looking into the morality because it was more comfortable for me. Right. You're just doing like, what should human beings be eating? <laughs> just what, that's what I've been looking for my entire life. Just fucking tell me what to eat. And you're like, eat some red peppers, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> right. The, the, yeah, that's my niche is like, I don't want to, I started out doing this. I don't want to sell, sell the most books. I don't want to make the most popular diet. I used to tell people if the book is the best New York Times bestseller, throw it in the garbage. If you're appealing to what the masses want, it can't possibly be really good for you. Right. And then my books became bestsellers. That's good. But that's because I got on PBS. Right. If I probably never got on PBS, I still wouldn't have bestselling books. I think it's so funny mm-hmm. watching mm-hmm. you do those talks. I was like, what mm-hmm. are the chances that you're a good writer, you're a good doctor, you, you have a mind for this stuff, mm-hmm. but you're also good at show business. That's why I wanted to have 
have you as a guest. I'm watching you do, you know, I'm a public speaker mm-hmm. for a living. I, I do other things, but I do a lot of stand up. And I'm watching and I'm like, was, did, were you coached? Did someone direct you? I mean, how do you get somebody that is in your world into show business? I think it's because my, um, because my message is so vitally important. I've been made in an effort to actually speak to groups of people. Mm-hmm. And years ago, when I started out at a medical school, I was very poor in front of the audience. Mm. And I put, but now, but I'm speaking so much publicly to physicians' groups and to well, pe- they cut to the audience. I'm like, that's yeah. the size of a theater I play. Like you play like big rooms, right? And I, 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 I go to I speak in front of 700 people. I've spoken in front of 10,000 people at the Jacob, Jacob Javits Center in Is New that York. Right? Yeah, I mean, tons of people. And like, um, I spoke in Detroit to a you know, but just recently to a group of people, and they were like jumping up and down and cheering. It was unbelievable. I love and it. They, like laughing at my jokes, like crazy, I you know? love, and they're landing. <laughs> you must kill sometimes. You probably have shows where you're like, I killed. I so it's, speak. So it's practice. You know yeah. what I'm saying is it's experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so Tom, I got on PBS. I already had. So what happened with PBS? So they put me. This is how the, how I got that show. Is that they they contacted about 15 doctor authors and they said, come to San Francisco. We'll do test. Did we'll you, test. They we'll, tested you. They'll test you yeah. and see how you look in front of the camera. We'll you test. Did a camera. Test. We'll do like a 10 or 15 minute show <laughs> and we'll put it out in test markets and we'll see what the people's reaction is and which show pulls the most benefit, right? Wow. So I go into this room and to do, do this thing and there's no people in the room. It's just three automatic cameras and me in a black room oh with three God. cameras. I've done things like that. It's, yeah. it's terrifying. So I start to talk and I'm going, this isn't going to work. I'm flat. I'm not passionate. This is not exciting. I can't talk to a camera. I'm not an actor. Yeah. Bring me some people and sit them behind the camera. Let them sit on the floor. I don't care if people are, yeah. you know, there must be people in the ho- somewhere did in this building. Did you say that? Yeah, I did. Good for you. I stopped them. I That's made them put some people in the room and I look in their faces. Yes. I get excited. I get passionate. Yes. And then when they tested the shows, my show creamed everybody's as far yeah. as getting the audience excited. I and then the actual, they gave the top two or three doctors out of the 15 they tested their own show. They gave me my own show and they paid for it because mm. of my show coming out on top. Um, <laughs> but in the real world, my show also creamed everybody's. I love it. And because of the success of the show, they give you another show the next year. So I'm I assuming it. it's a cashew-based cream. <laughs> you it. say you creamed everybody. Okay. I, <laughs> a non-dairy cream, I hope. Garlic nutter. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, you know, it's funny that you say that because, like, I used to do a lot of talking head things mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, where there's, like, a color behind you. Like, CNN does them. Yeah. VH1 used to do them, MTV. Right. And the one piece of advice I would give people is I was like, no one's going to tell you to do the, do, take it again. Like, right. if I do a joke, I'm like... Oh, Darth Vader, more like Garth Vader. And like I say it wrong, they're just going to keep going. You have to be the one that goes like, I didn't like that. I'm going to do it again and do it again. Like you need to assume a little bit of authority over the production. And that's what you did. That's one of those like showbiz lessons where you're like, instead of going, I'm uncomfortable with three unmanned cameras in a sterile, dark studio. And that's not how I work. But like, Again, talking, going back to how we're intimidated by doctors that say, take this pill, and you don't have the wherewithal to go, fuck you. You're just some guy in a lab coat that plays soccer and has a parakeet. Like, all of a sudden, you're a doctor. Oh, and these people are producers. Like, who cares? Let's make this good. But you have to speak up for yourself. Right. So you're doing this in, in multiple facets of your life. That's really great. That's a great showbiz story. Thank you. Yes, and, you and you succeeded. And you got and to do all the shows. I got the show. Right? It, was, it was great. And these books. Yeah. And, and now more books and more cookbooks. But then... And the most exciting thing, of course, you know is the people 
I was just going to say, the people, if the fact that I get letters and emails every day of people who've changed their life, saved their life, reversed their heart disease, got rid of their psoriasis, got rid of their asthma, got rid of their migraines, people who are literally in bed, who have no life, back to having a full life again. It's just been so excited. I feel so um, lucky and yeah. rewarded and humbled, the fact that I've affected so many people's lives having this opportunity. I didn't think when I became a doctor I'd have so many people, the ability to affect so many people's lives. Right. You know what I mean? Well, that's the story of when you met your wife, you, you, you look down your nose at doctors. They just prescribe bullshit and they they're just kind of a cog in the system and you went outside again this is not to butter your bread too much but this is why you're exciting you stepped outside and succeeded like you broke away from the pack you're not the other thing i like is you're not telling anybody anything that doesn't make intuitive sense eating living colorful things as opposed to things that are packaged red and yellow and you know there's some blue because they know that our brains are you know evolutionarily wired to desire those types of things those colors those flavors you're just saying like go back and eat that stuff (laughs) right and And a lot of it right and so we don't have to cut we don't eat thimble sized portions of food yeah we can eat liberally as much as we want when we eat the right foods and we're going to want the right amount yeah so it's not that difficult it's not uncomfortable, and eventually you begin, you, you begin to prefer this way of eating. It begins, it be not, you're not on a diet. It's the way you prefer to eat for lots of reasons. Mm-hmm. You enjoy it more. You like the way you feel good. You like the way it affects you intellectually. It affects you emotionally. You feel good about yourself. You enjoy your life. You feel protected. Mm-hmm. It's just a, so a lot of people are embracing this idea of eating a nutritarian diet, and there are nutritarian restaurants. Is that country. right? Yeah. Oh, there, I didn't know that. There are restaurants, yeah, yeah, that open up around the country that you can go to that are serving, you know, nutrient. And you know from living in New York. Yeah. Look what Mayor Bloomberg did to New York. I mean, we have the, the lifespan of New York has increased. There's like salad bar restaurants all over the place. There's places you can eat right. healthy foods all over the place in New right. York. Even if you go into the poorer areas in New York, they have those carts that sell fruits and vegetables on the street now, and you can use your, your food stamps to get the cart. So, so Mayor Bloomberg started some very positive things going on. Right. And I know some of the things he did failed. Like when he said to tax on the larger soda, right? But it brought awareness to people. And soda consumption right. went down by 25%. It's Even not- though if the, if the law passed, failed. So the New Yorkers got healthier as a result of his initiatives. And they called him, you know, um, what was that, nanny in chief? In, you know, in, um, in Arkansas and Mississippi, they right. passed an anti-Bloomberg law. You know, we're not going to tell people what to do. But the fact is that, pe- that New York became much healthier, less smoking, right. healthier food availability, nutritarian restaurants that's serving salads with healthy dressings all over the place. Right. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm a square, but I always enjoy a little bit of meddling, <laughs> meaning like I need to be told what to do. Yeah. You tell me I can have a 20-ounce soda. I drink a 20-ounce soda. Then another grown-up, I still feel like a child, another grown-up comes and says, hey, maybe you shouldn't do that because it spikes your insulin and then th- that gets wrapped in fat and it makes you fat and it's a rush to your system. I just need help. <laughs> like now I can seek it out. Right. But when I was a kid, nobody was even I, – so I don't have a problem with Bloomberg trying. Yeah, and he, I'm not surprised that it worked. I think it was great. Yeah. It was great. It's very interesting. But, um, so, and that, like for example, I, you go to Aspen. I go to skiing in Aspen or something. A nutritarian restaurant there. Wow. Uh, so you have a nutritarian chef who came from Austria who's now cooking all nutritarian food. And he makes the food taste incredibly gourmet. It's like a five-star restaurant, but it's all super healthy. That's so It cool. shows people you can go and have a delicious meal that's really super healthy at the same time. Right. You know, and you can, you can learn these recipes. But, so next week, I'm going to California, and I'm running a culinary getaway, which I have four world-class chefs coming, hmm. including, this, including Martin from, from Aspen, Colorado, um, is coming. And we're going to teach people. And give them a chef certification as nutritarian chefs. So I've regular people that are just regular, you know, 
want good health coming, but I also have people coming who run health spas and who run have restaurants and who have and who want to cater and cook for other people. But a lot of people are just regular people wanting to show how healthy eating can be tasting great. And I'm running this event in California where I have a lot of people coming. To, we're going to show them how to make all these exotic sauces and recipes and desserts and chocolate mousses and how to make healthy versions like hmm. you know. I I have a couple selfish questions. <laughs> I think one of the reasons I'm soft is because I like to drink alcohol. Can you, what do you think about alcohol? Well, I, I'm always looking for a doctor to just be like, Pete, this is what it's doing. It's why you shouldn't drink it. So maybe you can be that guy. Well, or, I, I don't really, you know, I try as much as possible not to have personal opinions, just to tell people sure. what the science shows. It's what car- does the science show? It's carcinogenic. Okay, so it's like smoking. Well, it's it's smoking effects is maybe well, well I, there's women who drink, for example. One glass of wine a day have a 12%, on the average, a 12% increase risk of breast cancer. Really? Men who drink two glasses or more have higher rates of throat cancer, stomach cancer, squamous cell cancer of the, epithe- of the um, digestive tract. Mm. In other words, it mostly increases cancer in the, in the areas that it touches going down. Mm. You know, men can tolerate alcohol a little better. Um, people think it thins the blood. If you're on a very unhealthy diet, the slight blood thinning effect like aspirin can decrease the clotting, having a heart attack. So it's maybe some heart benefits there. But at the same time, it's increasing risk of hemorrhagic stroke because it's thinning the blood and you can bleed to death. Mm. So, there's, so, there's, so alcohol is really... You can't, you know, so some people have been mistakenly thinking, oh, it's good for the heart and it's advertised and it has some benefits. Uh, it may, it's, it's, carcinog- it's mildly carcinogenic. Mm-hmm. It's not something people should do for their health. They should eat right to protect their heart, not drink alcohol to protect their heart. Mm-hmm. So it, it'll, it has some effect on increasing a person's risk of cancer. So if you're going to have alcohol, you should try to have as little as possible. Okay. Especially Noted. if you're a woman. Okay. <laughs> you look over and now I'm holding a martini. Because women are smaller. They have smaller livers, a smaller body. They drink the same amount of alcohol with a smaller body. has a bigger effect. Yeah. You know, a larger body, larger liver, a little, a little. So you have to, the alcohol amount that becomes more dangerous, the, the smaller you are. Okay. And what about salt? Because I hear you talk about salt being bad. Yes, And I then do. I'm like, I, I think one of the health trends is we go like, but pink Himalayan salt's okay. Is that, or, or like liquid aminos, is anything salty going to be bad in the end? I heard when, um, when they went to the moon, they took some salt off the backside of the moon, and that salt's good. <laughs> oh, the pink Floyd salt? Yeah. <laughs> the dark side of the moon salt? Exactly. I love that salt. Maybe the deep troughs of like, the earth where you can get the salt of the rocks of Gibraltar or the Martian salt. I don't know. There's got to be some salt that's good. Look, sodium is sodium. The idea that like some salts have more... That's the most ridiculous thing in the alternative medicine community. Mm-hmm. Salt is 2,000 milligrams of sodium per teaspoon, right? So mm-hmm. it's 2,000 milligrams of sodium. You, you have... Um, the little bit of minerals that you have in some of these natural salts. Magnesium and whatnot. The amount of minerals is microscopic. It's not as much minerals as one bite of vegetables. Hmm. You know, we're talking about the amount of minerals plays no effect on your health. So this is like a play by big salt to say like, hey, take some uh, pink salt before bed. It'll help you sleep. Uh, so I think it's an, a scam of the alternative medicine community trying to get people. But in any case, salt causes microvascular hemorrhaging. That means the, into the endothelium, the inner walls of your blood vessels are inflamed from salt, chronically hmm. inflamed. Hmm. Weakening the blood vessel lining, increasing the risk of um, having a clot or having a break in the blood vessels causing a hemorrhagic stroke over the years. It damages you, puts you, and, and takes its toll the years and years of the high-salt diet, weakens your blood vessels eventually, and you want a leading cause of death. Hmm. For people, so the, uh, if you ate foods without salt in them, you'd be still consuming salt because all natural foods contain sodium. That's right. what humans did for millenniums for 30, for 50,000 years. We ate the salt that was in the food. 
Right. But now we add salt on top of that. And how much salt could we add that would be acceptable? And it looks like, you know, if we added, you know, 200 to 400 a day over and above what the food had, it would still be under 1,000, 1,200 for a male, 1,000 for a female, probably okay. But 200, the, 400 milligrams? Grams of sodium over and above what's in the natural food. Then your total for the day would still be under 1,000. Right. But it looks as if, though, that the Americans consuming about 3,000, you know, some of the Asian countries consuming more than 4,000, and we see as salt intake goes up, so does stomach cancer, hemorrhagic stroke, overall strokes, you know, there's a lot of... So, so, so you can't justify any kind of natural sodium. It's, it takes salt to salt. Salt to salt. I remember, uh, and I don't want to cause a flutter in the alternative medicine community, but David Wolf puts salt in his water. He says your body's more like an ocean than it is a river, and you need to, like, balance it out by taking in these quote-unquote good salts or whatever. I remember hearing him say that and being like, oh, i got to put salt in my water, and I did. He was like, it helps you absorb water better or something like that. There's a lot of nonsense out there. In the, <laughs> you know, and, you know, who do you – do you pick a nutritional guru? Yeah. Or, and do you like the guy's mustache? <laughs> You're saying look at the data. Oh, you look at the data. Yeah, look at the data. data. How much studies have you looked on this subject? You're like the atheist of of nutrition. You're just like, just look at the facts. I don't want any like hooey. I don't want any stories or songs. Right. Just look at the data. And if there's data not there, then have an open mind to where maybe maybe you have a little flexibility here. You don't know. You have to say, I don't know. Right. But there's certain things we know because of an overwhelming amount of data about it. Okay. Salt. (laughs) (laughs) I took uh, my beloved Valerie, who's out of town. She's actually in Budapest, uh, my girlfriend. And she, I took her to a cardiologist because she was having um, heart palpitations. Like she gets an accelerated heart rate from time to time. Mm-hmm. And the guy was like, you Is just... she off caffeine? She doesn't really take much caffeine. Okay. I would love your opinion, actually. Well, uh, I don't know if she's uh, eating caffeine, but that... But... She doesn't really take a lot of caffeine. She takes a little bit. Um, she thinks it might be hydration-based. She notices if she's more hydrated, it happens less. But then this cardiologist says, you should uh, eat something salty like potato chips and he goes, and you should probably get electrolytes, so you should drink some Gatorade. And I'm not a confrontational what an person. Idiot. I said, I said oh, to this man, I go, it's amazing the you're a cardiologist, yeah. and you're telling, you know, I got Mother Bear a little bit. I was yeah. like, you're telling the love of my life to eat potato chips? Which caused cancer. You f- yeah, you're a yeah. fucking idiot. It was insane. Yeah, right. This is to your point. Right. I just, I, I'm utterly ridiculous. So salt, though, but Val does love salt, so I should try and wean. Yeah, very often people's sodium in the blood can get too low from over-drinking water. Because, That's right. Yes. So it could be she's overhydrating herself. Huh. So when she's overhydrating it, so when you eat a healthy diet and you don't eat, overeat salt, your kidneys get more effective at holding on to it. You don't excrete as much salt in your urine. Hmm. And over the time of being on a low salt diet, your sweat becomes less, lower levels of sodium in your sweat. So now when you're out there running marathons or exercising or playing basketball or tennis, you're not depleting yourself of sodium because your sweat is, is, doesn't have sodium in it because your diet's – it's your, your body's kidneys used, are better. Your kidneys are holding on to it. Your sweat's holding on to it. Your body is used to a low-sodium diet. When you're used to a high-sodium diet, your, your sweat's putting out sodium. Your urine's putting out lots of sodium all the time. Then when you go exercise, you excrete more sodium. Your sodium goes up and down more. It's not as stable. Hmm. When you overdrink water, you wash away sodium. So the overconsumption of water – this is why some people who, run, who are heavy runners can – overhydrate and have a seizure because hmm. their levels of sodium gets too low. It's not that they had no sodium. It's they overdrank water and you pee out too much electrolytes. Hmm. So this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. 
She has to have her. <laughs> no, we're not going back to him. Yeah, yeah. We're not going back to him. Um, well, let so, me. Yeah, so go people, ahead. They have, people have different needs for sodium. We could we could test that, but that's just that advice just makes no sense at all. <laughs> you know, if even if she needed more sodium, it should be measured. It should be done a specific narrow amount. It shouldn't be. We should increase it in small increments. Yeah, we he should said, measure the amount of fluid she's taking. One point five bags yeah. of small lays every yeah, day. So, <laughs> but what, what he just gave her was just completely irrational and just just irresponsible. Uh, that, I, I I thought mm-hmm. maybe you'd like that one. Uh, I think we somehow look at all these notes I took watching your videos, and I think we hit everything. Ooh, Cialis! You didn't mention dick pills in your in your things that people are prescribed. People love taking. You know, the Republicans are making sure that you can still get your uh, prescription uh, Viagra and stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, that has to be a canary in the coal mine if you're having problems in that area, wouldn't you say? Well, I would say this: that most men develop problems in those areas. Because of circulatory problems, because mm-hmm. of diabetes, because mm-hmm. of their cruddy diet. So they age prematurely, and they don't just get problems with their erections. They get problems with their back pain. They get problems with the circulation of their joints. They get problems with their hips and their knees, and their whole body falls apart. It's not just the one part of the body falls apart. It's represented for their whole body falling apart. <laughs> I knew you'd have a good one for that. So this is just another hammer hand situation where they're like, That's correct. my penis stopped working. They're like, well, right. take this one. Really, you should fucking cool it on... The garbage area. If they had a, they write that they would age slower. They maintain their youthful vigor, their mental faculties, and their physical faculties, and their sexual ability. All these things would stay lasting longer, and they wouldn't even be drug dependent and having to pay all this money. What is the because you make so much sense, and I enjoy you so much. I wonder what you run into the most as people that might be critical of this. It does seem a little extreme. I love it, Mm -hmm. but people listening might be like, "I'm not just going to eat." Stir fry th- three meals a day, or or well, steel cut out. Th- I know yeah. there's variety. They can, yeah, there's a tremendous variety, and, and certainly this is a fun way to eat. And they should learn more about it. So yeah, yeah so I don't think that. The, um, but what is the big thing that people, other other physicians maybe that, that say why why aren't what you're saying makes so much sense? Is it just a matter of time for this to spread? Well, or well, I don't know, but I mean, <laughs> most people aren't going to eat this way. Yeah, they're too addicted, and the people that need it the most are the ones most likely not to do it because mm. they're so addicted they don't even want to look at it mm-hmm. or consider it. Mm. But you know, most of my career as a physician and, and and as a training to become a physician, most of the response I had from like in medical school when I was talking about stuff like this, mm-hmm. same response you get today is people say, <laughs> "Oh yeah, we know that makes sense and we know what it works most likely, but people aren't going to want to change their diet, so I'm just going to give them a pill anyway. It's going to take me too long to explain it, and if I explain it, they're not going to do it anyway. Right. So I'm just saying I can't possibly keep the patients, um, keep it, you know, see enough patients. I'm not going to waste my time and then I talk for hours and they're not going to even listen to me. Right. So it's a waste of my time. It's just much easier to write a pill." And you're not going to make a, and they used to always say, you're not going to make a living that way. Mm. You're not going to make money. You're going to be taking too much time and not going to change a lot of people's minds. You're not going to change the way they eat. They're, they just want a simple, people want a simple solution. It's they want, too many people too. It's too many people to explain this to. If right. you're a doctor doing right. your rounds, you, you can't do this spiel. Right. 300 times. Right. But now we have a growing, the American College of Lifestyle Medicine is a, gro- a growing medical specialty. Doctors are taught how to teach people in groups and give lectures in their practices. The people with diabetics come together on Wednesday nights. You know, there's a whole new, a um, new w- approach. A new approach. To the growth of this, gro- of this medical profession, this medical specialty of lifestyle medicine has been growing like crazy. And I have many, many doctors who embrace this way in, in their practice. And I, I give you an example. A guy, he's the head of invasive um, interventional cardiology. Interventional cardiology, the people that put the stents in. And mm-hmm. here I'm telling him about how bad it is to put a stent in, right? Mm-hmm. So he gets up in front of a medical conference with all these doctors, and he says, three people affected my life the most. 
my mother, my father, and Dr. Furman. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And he says, and I'm not stenting people anymore. I'm teaching them about nutrition. Wow. Because I work for the VA, and I don't get more money anyway if they so I put a stent in based on how productive I am putting stents in. I make money. I want to keep these people healthy. Yeah, he has and no incentive. Now, no great. incentive, and I have been people are getting much better results changing the way they eat. And if I could tell them with strength that they got to just smack their head against the wall and say you're committing suicide with food, you got to make these changes and not put a stent. It's not going to help you. You're gonna, you got to really get turn your health around, and it works. People do it. Hmm. And it's so exciting to see that I'm actually influencing other physicians. Yeah, I know. Good they, for you, man. You and I've had so many doctors like who's even people at my – they made me the um, – the keynote speaker at my 25th anniversary medical school reunion. Oh, right? wow. Right? Cool. I mean, so that was cool, right? Yeah, that's very cool. All these doctors coming up to me, thanking me for influencing, having a positive effect on their lives personally and professionally. Yeah. You know, so that's real. So, um, that's real so, stuff, man. That's a life st- well lived. Right. So it's Absolutely. not um, – you can't say – there are always going to be some people against it, but you've got to think of the positive side and all the people yeah. – all the, all the movement in the right direction that this is that has yeah. happening by, from myself and other people doing similar things. That will, yeah. There's a lot of movement in the right direction. I love it. I'm the same way. You know, doing this podcast, people coming up and saying how this changes their lives or made their lives better. That's what I'm going to be thinking about, hopefully, when I'm 105 and dying and, and looking back and going like, okay, I took what I had and I did something okay with it. So good for you. What, one other I, – I want to be sensitive to your time, but I do have one other thing. Well, if you wanted to be sensitive to my time, I would have left an hour ago. <laughs> You salty dog. Uh, Low salt. You're a low salt dog. Um, Just the idea of people bring up Steve Jobs. People bring up Prince. These people that kind of famously high-profile people that try and treat their cancer by eating. Did uh, Prince have cancer? There's a rumor that Prince had something that was the reason why Prince was on fat and all. I thought he had like hip problems or joint problems or something. It's a rumor. I shouldn't represent a rumor as fact. But somebody told me that. The reason he was on those pain medicines was because he was in pain because he had something worse. And the reason why, again, rumor, 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 was that he had cancer and he wanted to treat it holistically. So he went with the plants and all that stuff. Steve Jobs certainly did. Steve got diagnosed. And then would you say they started doing that too late? Was it the idea that we should be doing this preventatively? I know cancer is a touchy subject when we yeah, get to that. Yeah, cancer is a bizarre disease that can be very unpredictable. And some cancers are very, um, very severe. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and, and your risk of cancer is affected by what you eat tremendously so. And I don't want to make it seem like people don't have a choice to do that. But some cancers can be affected by what your parents ate mm. to a degree. Damage mm. to the egg and while still in your mother's womb. Mm. And mothers who eat junk food, in fact, increase the risk of their children having brain cancer or, or mm. acute plastic leukemia. It's been shown in scientific studies. Mm. So I don't know, but so I know that Steve Jobs, I think, had pancreatic cancer, a very severe, very dangerous, rapidly growing cancer that rapidly spreads and kills people. And maybe he would have died quicker. Maybe his diet made him live a little longer with the cancer. Right, we don't. You know, we, we I don't know enough about his case in particular, mm-hmm. but there are some cancers, once they're first detected, like pancreatic cancer, they're already very advanced and very active and very hard to slow them down. Mm. So the time you even know you have pancreatic cancer, it's, like, it's, it's very late in the disease process. Right. And the behavior of that cancer is so bizarre that it may be even too late to stop it at that point. And pancreatic cancer is a good, is a good example of that, of some pancreatic cancers are particularly aggressive, mm-hmm. you know. But cancer being such a touchy thing and such an epidemic in our country, I, I, yeah. I watch Shark Tank. Anytime anybody pitches something that has health benefits, if they even say the word cancer, Mark Cuban goes out. People get like passionate about like how dare you suggest that there's a cure for this or a way to prevent it. Do you run into that? Do people get 
uh, emotional? No, matter of fact, I spoke to oncologists, I speak to oncologists, groups of oncologists all the time. I spoke this week to a group of oncologists because I'm running a cancer survivorship program at the hospital. Hmm. And I presented to the oncologists 41 pages, 74 abstracts of medical studies showing that foods that not just fight cancer and prevent it, but actually the same foods that fight cancer and prevent it increase survival with patients who have cancer and decrease recurrence of people who have cancer. Hmm. And this is when I showed the oncologists the proof. And they're very excited about the program we're running there in the hospitals. And I have these cancer survivorship program, and it's based on science. Hmm. And the data is there to show that it does work. Um, so it's not wishy-washy. It's not hocus-pocus. That's, that's your it's, whole it's, thing. Yeah. It's Wait. that when you, eat, when you eat onions and mushrooms and vegetables, when you eat these vegetables there, we know that more vegetable portions in studies of people who have cancer, we increase survival by more than 50% with a higher vegetable intake. So we, we know what we're doing. There's hmm. data to – and I'm, doing, I'm running a study with this right now. I'm running a, the Nutritarian Women's Health Study out of Northern Arizona University. Let me say that again. I said that too quick. I, I heard it actually. Yeah. I've gotten used to <laughs> The Nutritarian Women's Health Study uh-huh. run out of NAU, Northern Arizona University, has recruited thousands of women who, who um, agree to follow a Nutritarian anti-breast cancer diet. And some of these women have early-stage breast cancer. Most of the women have, are normal with no – have no cancer. And we're, we follow them over many years, over decades – to show the, how cancer can be prevented and in early stages reversed. Mm-hmm. And then people who are interested in becoming part of that study or learning more about it can go to nutritionalresearch.org because okay. they're, the, they're the 501c3 sponsoring and paying for that study, and they have a link for people who want more information about that study. I love it. And what is your website? I, I bet people that are into this are going to want to check it out. The book is called Eat to Live. No, I have 10 books, but my book in 2004 was two, yeah. 2000 called Eat to Live. The one that... People yeah. associate with you. Yeah, that's been my most popular book, yeah, my yeah. most popular. But my so my, my um, I have numerous books. They can pick out which book is right for them. Sure. at drfurman.com, which is d o r f u h r m a n dot com. Oh, I love it. And in five more years, Gutbuster will be out. A movie we're in together. <laughs> yeah, one of that. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, have a, I have a book coming out in October two thousand seventeen called Fast Food Genocide. You might be interested in that. Yeah, that. sure. It's going to be a really good book. And, and I'm happy to say, uh, in the same way that a lot of my stand-up is on YouTube, so I hope you're not like, I should be getting paid for this. There are a lot of clips of you on YouTube uh, talking more about this. So you can really get, if this wasn't enough of, a, of an insight into Dr. Furman, there's even more there. But this is what a, what a pleasure it was talking to you. Thanks so much. This yeah. was a lot of fun. I, I hope you see a lot of love. Uh, we call our fans weirdos from the weirdos. Uh, we do ask one question of every guest. It's very light. <laughs> it's just, can you think of the time in your life you laughed the hardest? And it doesn't have to be a great story. Does it conjure up a certain memory, being young, being with your kids, being with your wife, whatever it might be? Hmm. Some people need to think. <laughs> I thought when I laughed the hardest when I first saw like those Peter Seller movies, like the Pink Panther movies. Oh, there you fu- go. When he's fighting people and like hitting each other. You're not like, the only uh, one that says Peter like, Sellers. Yeah, because yeah. I think that he was one of the like I'm sitting in the movie theater like laughing in pain like you yes. know, with my friends when I was a teenager. You yes. know what I mean? Oh, that's a great answer. Yeah. I'm glad. Yeah. I, I I almost uh, rewatched the Pink Panther movie just the other night. Yeah. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Well, thank you for driving t- over two hours from Jersey. Thank you in the rain. And changing traffic. the location and all the traffic. Yeah. I hope it's better on the way back. And this is silly, but we have the guests say the catchphrase of the podcast to end. Would you say keep it crispy? <laughs> Whatever that means, keep yeah. it crispy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Berman. That was great. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Thank <laughs> you.